Rachel's Gone canon watches House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 10, the season finale of The Black Queen. I am one of your hosts, Eliana. And I am another one of your hosts, Chloe. What a phenomenal finale. I'm so excited to talk about it. Glad that you're all back here with us for a final Hot D Season 1 episode. That said, before we jump in, this is a spoilers everything in the Song of Ice and Fire universe, all podcast. So if you're listening to this and you have not read the main five A Song of Ice and Fire books, Fire and Blood, The World of Ice and Fire, uh, the novellas, right? Princess and the Queen, the Duncan Egg novellas. Who knows what we're going to mention? We don't even know what we're going to mention, but we don't want you to get spoiled. So if you have not yet touched some of that, get out of here, kid. Come back. Especially if you want to stay unspoiled for some of the major beats, right, of House of the Dragon, because obviously some things are changed. Like when Alicent and Rhaenyra get married. Absolutely. But, um, you know, if, yeah, that's, I think, the biggest thing, right? Like, a lot of things are changed from the books, but the major beats seem to, for the most part, be the same. So, if you don't want that, we'll see you some other time. We have a bunch of other episodes. If you are not a usual listener of Girls Gone Canon, please check out our POV by POV character read-through. Yeah, that's where you're going to be able to find us after House of the Dragon ends. Every Friday, we put out brand episodes, except for this Friday. We will be taking a brief break this Friday, so you won't see that in your feed. But we'll return next week to continue doing brand episodes, which are my favorite so far. I'm having such a blast, and we would love to have you over to listen to that. Yeah, we do not have brand new episodes this Friday. Oh my god. We have also covered the His Dark Materials series in the past, both the books and the show. We will be continuing doing that in December, so keep your eyes and ears peeled on your feed for that. Feel free to give us a follow on whatever platform you've been listening to, a review. We would really appreciate it. And thanks so much for listening this season. We look forward to next season. It's going to be two years, I think. But uh, two years from now, we'll be sitting here. Oh, my God. And we will be talking about season two. I mean, who knows? If we're lucky, maybe it'll be like less than two years, right? It could be like they're starting production in early 2023. Maybe we'll be super lucky. It comes out early 2024. Who knows? Um, yeah so see you in two years two years yeah i'm foolish for <laughs> thinking like oh it'll come out earlier than i think i should lo- know better by my time in this fandom anyway <laughs> absolutely well there are other places you can check us out and get some bonus content if you are looking for some bonus content yes for example most of all you can find us obviously on social media. We'll talk about that in a bit, but you can always find us on Patreon where not only do we have these episodes, these hot D episodes or our brand new episodes, we also have our Patreon bonus episodes each month. Yeah, this month we're going to be putting out for Stranger Tier and above. That is the $5 tier and up. Uh, A bonus episode on the Kingsguard talking about some of their dual roles, some of their jobs. Uh, In this show especially, we've gotten to see Some of these Kingsguard don't just stand to protect the king or queen. They also stand to do other things like make alliances and go do errands. I don't know, political things. Kristen Cole is one of them, right? He'll end up a hand of a king at some point. Yeah, he holds the role of most punchable person right now in in Westeros. In Westeros. But in and out of Westeros. (laughs) Absolutely. 
Uh, but we also do some events every month. And even for this, we've been doing weekly discussions hosted by our good friend Maddie for the Thunder tier and above patrons who get access to our Discord for life. And we also do a monthly brunch slash happy hour that just happened last weekend. It was a blast. We played some Halloween-themed reindeer games, as we like to call them. They're called reindeer games, but they were Halloween-themed this time, to clarify. Yeah, they were, uh, I don't know, reindeer skeleton? I don't know. And (laughs) yes, so... Ooh, theirs was the theory. Yeah, I don't know. Every time you say that, I think of, like, what's his name? Zero from The Nightmare Before Christmas, but he's not a reindeer. (laughs) anyway he's close yeah so maybe we'll see you in the times coming and i will probably have some live discussions as well for his dark materials but i don't know yet but maybe probably who knows (sighs) we'll see we shall see we did get a great comment over at twitter or a a tweet i suppose you could call it (laughs) yes a tweet (laughs) from jace dane or clamidosoro 98 who said Enjoying your reviews every week. Off-topic question, but since the His Dark Materials trailer came out, I got stuck thinking about it. What would be the demons of characters in House of the Dragon who don't have a dragon or an animal as sigil of the house? Like Alicent, Kristen, or Harwin? So, I thought this was a funny question, and I have an answer for one of the actors, not the character. For example, I do not know what demon Alicent the High Tower would have, but I know that Olivia Cook has kind of given an answer for herself in that famous Negroni Spagliato interview saying that uh, if she had a house sigil, it would probably be a badger. Uh, She described it as like cute, but will fight. So house of badger. So I think Olivia Cooks would be a badger. That's actually kind of cute. But will fight. That's really cute. (laughs) But will fight. Yes. Uh, I I totally think Harwin would be some kind of giant, shaggy, overly friendly dog. Right. In speaking of his dark materials terms, there's a line in La Belle Sauvage. It makes me think of the he was her servant for life. <laughs> oh my God. Right? Oh, whoa. Uh, or as long as he lived. Uh, or uh, Kristen Cole. I think he'd be a kangaroo. Right. Because from afar, you're like, oh, you're kind of cute. But then you get up close and he's just a violent ass. Kangaroos are scary. They are, in fact, so scary. Yeah. Like every time. And I wouldn't let him near me because he's scary. They feel like... What I imagine the Egyptian god Anubis looks like. Like, I wonder, did someone see a kangaroo and they're like, that's a god? You know? Um, so I think that's interesting. Also, very, as you said, violent. Yeah, very violent. Very I will violent. Say, <laughs> Just like Kristen this Cole. This is not, this is again, the actor Emma Darcy said for their sigil initially, like, a squirrel. Because I guess they thought that, like, somehow Emma mistook their grandmother for a squirrel at one point, which is a story that we were not given, um, need to understand, but then changed later to a cabbage. So a great deal. <laughs> Absolutely. Just like the cabbage guy. I, I actually in, said that. Uh, yeah, Emma Darcy was about to, I think it got cut and edited out, but I think Emma Darcy went like a whole monologue about cabbages. That's what it seems like from that interview. They are just like us for real, for real. <laughs> like they sighed and were just like, they're just so beautiful. And was like, fuck that squirrel. And I was like, oh, okay. So. I would love the uncut version of I that. I know, I know. I think Amazing. everyone wants it, right? That like took the world by storm. But something else, uh, you know, that is not taking the world by storm. But I want to reassure everyone that the intro which was the same as last week's, but also just everyone, Maylor is basically confirmed. Everyone chill. Blood and cheese is probably going to happen. Yeah. 
Um, it's definitely going to happen, first of all. There's no way it doesn't happen. But you can see it in the new intro. You can actually see uh, from last week's all three of those children have they have a hand symbol. Their tile is a hand because there's nothing new in this week's intro at all. But their symbols are hands and they have extra digits on said hand. Yeah. So, yeah, Mailer's happening. Like Jaharis. Yeah. It's a good thing they give Maelor those extra digits on his hand symbol because it just is going to be that much more work for them uh, to tear him into little limbs and absolutely. pieces. Absolutely. I was actually thinking the same thing. You know, more more to go around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my uh, God. Bitter Bridge is never hell. satisfied. Okay, so. <laughs> Before we go to hell, let's open up this episode and go to Dragonstone instead. Absolutely. We're here. We're here at Dragonstone. Everything happens at Dragonstone. They put in a lot of work to really flesh the place out, apparently. You can see all about it in the behind the scenes where it's I, it's fun. I like what they've done to preserve it. Yeah. Right? They have a couple pieces that are actually preserved from the original Game of Thrones yeah. set, some original like wall murals that you actually can see from the original series, but now they're in different places and you can see it was just a different time and different redecoration. Or they've like embellished them and added like kind of more, it's fun, right? Like they added more scales and stuff to the the, the dragon relief that's in Rainier's apartments. And I kind of wondered, were those like dragon scales that were supposed to maybe be a Valyrian seal or reminiscent of it, were those scavenged like after the rebellion or something to be turned mm. into a Valyrian steel, like X mm-hmm. amount of things, or they also have like the, the wares, right? Like the cloth, like the cushions and stuff all have swirly patterns, kind of like Valyrian steel. It's great because it really gives you a sense that Aegon either brought over a bunch of their stuff, mm-hmm. you know, when they all left and obviously Dragonstone was already there, but it's like his family brought over some of this stuff from Valyria or they were still able to get in touch with people that he had brought with them that could make that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. Like so much obsidian True. is used in all these props or like things that look like obsidian. So it's crazy to imagine this world building of Valyria and what you could have bought there or had for your household if you had money. Yeah. I mean, so they can, I guess, get obsidian more easily, but like the steel for sure. Because like... Did they bring it? Did they already like have it? Or were they just rich enough to get it? Or did they go there? Like because they all kind of maybe had some knowledge of what how to navigate some of the areas of Old Valyria and like, oh that place got buried, that place didn't, right? Like before that was all completely lost. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see more of that. I never thought I'd care about Aegon's conquest, but that and then also like not in that scale, you know. Yeah. I just feel like it's more of a straightforward story. It could be great, but also there's something like I think that. Like a movie where they could scavenge back. Yeah. Three hour yeah. movie, especially because as children they patroned Westeros. Like they weren't strangers. They came to Westeros as children. They went to the Reef. yeah. They went to Old Town when they were kids. Or like a mini series. A mini series. A limited. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think. Yeah. I just don't think it needs. You know. A five season thing, or whatever. does it need the hot D? No, it doesn't. Though. It doesn't. But like, yeah. And I think we've discussed mm-hmm. before, like why we think that. So, Luke, speaking of uh, our uh, ancestors, is concerned that Grandpappy Corliss will die, which would then leave Luke as Lord of the Tides. It's great to see this echo after the last episode in the Green Council when they said that boy can't even sail a ship, and. Luke himself is like, I can't sail a ship, Mom. This is really a pretty big thing you've put me up to. Uh, You can see a lot of the pressure getting to both him and Jace. It does remind me, he says, I'm no sailor. And later in the episode, at the very end, 
I'm brought to mind what Corley said, that the wise sailor flees the storm as it gathers or charters its course straight through. And poor Luke had the Rickon zigzag going on there, right, with his uh, disobeying dragon. Yeah. And did not get to flee the storm as it gathered, nor could he pile straight through. Yeah, Vagar also could- He is no sailor. Yeah, was not controllable. Zagged and zigged. <laughs> Yeah, he's no sailor, and um, he's right, though. He goes, I can't be Lord of the Tides, and, and it's true, because he's dead. He wasn't dead when he said that, <laughs> Eliana. But, it, but it's fine, because he was all like, I don't want to be Lord of the Tides, because that means everyone else will be dead. But it's okay, Luke. You beat them all there. Um, I'm terrible. I'm sorry, everyone. It's really funny, because Corliss lives. Yeah, he... Like, he- until the end of the day, he makes he it. He makes it. I think Corley's. I'm so excited to see how his character evolves. Right, like he's going to go through a lot of seasons of his, of him. Not like television seasons. I meant of his life, but also yeah, that too. It's it's a it's a really nice interaction between Luke and Rhaenyra. I thought it was really interesting how Luke. You know, it was telling Rhaenyra, like, you had a choice to become the heir or not. And then kind of deflatedly says, like, I'm not you. I'm not perfect. And I love that her response to him isn't like this idea of like, yes, you are. You're perfect. It's not that she tells him I'm not right. Um, She acknowledges her own faults, which is super important for growing up. We talk about that a lot in our usual coverage of these young characters in A Song of Ice and Fire. What's important about that is also she doesn't put pressure on him to be perfect. She tells him you have to do your duty, but she doesn't tell him he has to be perfect. And I think that's like such a a great show of parenting. Yeah, I really enjoyed this lesson here that she was like, oh, you are my age. Mm -hmm. Like This is what I went through. You have to understand. I didn't know what I was doing either. I really appreciated that. And I appreciate the effort to focus both of her sons and how this is affecting them came up in this episode. Luke especially, obviously, he was kind of just little Muppet boy. <laughs> he didn't have lines yet because he was a, well, you yeah. know, they're just, they're kids. They didn't have the big plot points in those episodes besides the Aemond and the Eye. So it gave them a moment to shine yeah. before murdering him violently in front of my eyeballs, which was pretty, pretty aggressively horrible. I was upset. <laughs> it was, a, it was a well done, I think. Well, I don't know. I guess people disagree. I liked it. But also I will say it's funny because my partner earlier this season was like, one of like his critiques is, I don't really like that I haven't felt that Jake and Luke were fleshed out. I really don't see them as characters. And in my head, I can't disclose like, yeah, well, Luke's not super fleshed out because he's going to die in like two episodes. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, don't get fucking invested in him now. That's kind of, I know, it was really hard the whole night. My partner was sitting <laughs> on the couch having, saying these you were things. fun. And me, you, and that guy I live you, with. You we were, were laughing having our so asses much fun. Off. I saw it. I was watching him during the episode. I was looking over through peaked eyes yeah. like, is he, is he freaked out yet? It was great. It was a great time. I love watching it with Unsullied. That doesn't get to mm-hmm. happen that often. But now that you say the thing about the age, I do think I like that because it's something that we talk about a lot in the books, right? Like, literally no one is prepared to become a ruler at 14 years old. Let's be real. Absolutely It not. doesn't matter what time period yeah. it is. Literally, brain development is not different and that's why, uh, as we've discussed, right, there's that period of history in, in the real world, right, um, that is discussed as a kind of adolescent age or something um, in regards to the monarchies at the time, because everyone was too young and doing like dumb, foolish, very rash political decisions, which is because everyone was too young and making bad decisions. 
I made bad decisions mm-hmm. at 14. So. <laughs> and well, like, and that's a really big recurring theme in this episode. And in the and series. And right now, yeah. Too, and yeah. yesterday and last week. But, but that's, I mean, in this episode, yeah. you, you get to see age and wisdom. You know, Corliss finally, and also that wisdom doesn't always come with age, right? Like, just because you're a certain age doesn't mean you're wise. And there's always something to learn. And Corliss basically straight up says, like, ah, I made poor decisions. And this is where it led me and my family. If only I had had some foresight. Um, Yeah. I think there's a a giant theme about that reckless, rash behavior, especially with Damon in this episode. That's a great point. Something I was glad to see was Lauren Mar- Marbrand. You know, I know that I complained in the previous episodes. I was like, is he going to be in it? Is he here? And he's here. He's like not the best dude, but I'm glad he's here. Yeah, I know the Kingsguard aren't 100% the, the main characters, so we shouldn't maybe big deal, worry about where they are here, there. But they are a big deal. Yeah, I'm worried about Harold. I thought maybe he'd be here and die this week, but he is just fired and going to die off screen, maybe between now and the next season or maybe we'll get him next season doing something i would like to see that if so not really sure but i know that his actor graham is a great actor and i really appreciated him getting some screen time mm-hmm. now laurent marbrand becomes the lord commander after Stefan darkland climbs on a dragon during the sowing of the seeds i wonder if this could happen in the first episode could happen in passing uh maybe jace gets the idea in winterfell and sends a raven oh, home Laurent dies, though, later in the Riot of King's Landing that breaks out when Helena kills herself under Rhaenyra's reign. Yeah, so I think that's part of why I wanted to see Laurent Marbrand, because A, the way he goes out, and B, um, in the books, apparently Rhaenyra takes it really hard when Laurent passes. So we're going to see Rhaenyra lose a lot of people, not just in this episode, which she's already lost three people in this episode. So. It doesn't get any easier. And here's one of them. Here's one of the people that she loses. Well, well, well oh, I, I meant she was bringing word of it, but also, yeah, I guess Rainey's too, now that I think about it. Fuck. Yeah, her papa. Rainey's <laughs> comes home and brings word of the usurping and also of her papa's death. <laughs> uh, and You need to watch Downton Abbey maybe one day because people are comparing to this, but also they say his name is Papa. <laughs> I'll have to. Just for the papa. Papa. <laughs> Rainey's brings all this back, and it's kind of a little dramatic, tense scene. Damon pulls the question that every single person on the internet has been asking for seven days, which is, why didn't you torch the Greens? They're evil and bad. And Rainey's says, a war is like to be fought over this treachery, to be sure, but that war is not mine to begin. Everyone just had to wait a week. And you know what? This is more or less what they said in the interviews, but I understand that they didn't want to use the line verbatim because A, maybe that's spoilery. I don't know if there's like an NDA thing about it, but also like it's it's there. It's there in the episode. They do address it. You know, there's a continuity that's going on in House mm-hmm. of the Dragon that, yeah, they didn't have in Game of Thrones, but they remember things in this one. And I do think when it's phrased like this, that war is not mine to begin. I think it makes perfect sense, that rationale um, uh, about declaring war, right? Like, Rhaenys doesn't have the power to declare war. 
And I know some people say that, like, yeah, it is her war, and, like, she could do that because of her granddaughters, but when it comes to lieges, etc., like, there, there is a hierarchy there. And I, again, think it makes sense for her to understand that hierarchy of respecting I don't want to be the one to start and declare this war on behalf of A, the Greens or the Blacks, right? Um, because she knows where that responsibility mm -hmm. sits. And that's because she was, again, in that exact same position to make that call more than once in her life. She sees that the Blacks don't exactly have the allies. She literally just saw that they used the time and exploited the time the Green Faction did to get the leg up and start sending ravens and start making alliances. And when you get to Dragonstone, all that's loyal to them is not a lot right now, just like in the main series of Dragonstone, right? Like, Stannis doesn't have rich lords supporting him. He only gets his brother's reach leftovers. Yeah. Uh, even though we haven't gotten an insight to the Tyrells yet, obviously, and in the books, you know, they kind of stay neutral, but even so, the Reach has so many warriors yes. ready to spring up. So spring. many knights ready to spring up and ready to attack. Ha! To spring up. Good call. And ha! Very good. Very, Great job, Chloe. You did it. Well spotted. <laughs> good, good job, old chap. Um, but that's the thing. Like, they, don't, they don't have the kind of support right now that could knock down the Reach mm -hmm. or any portion of the Reach. Uh, they don't have the faith on their side. That's true. Alicent has spent a great decade being on the faith side, right? So I'm not sure the faith would report immediately to Rhaenyra and her uncle that she married <laughs> without leave in a Valyrian ceremony under the eyes of the Valyrian yeah. gods. So I don't know. I just, I think there's so much about it, even later that Rhaenys says, like, she is particularly impressed by Rhaenyra's behavior in trying not to go to nuclear war. Mm -hmm. Like, she is, although, she, yes, she yeeted all those people in the dragon pit, she's particularly impressed that Rhaenyra doesn't want to tear down everything their house has left in the dragons and their houses just right away. We've already discussed the dragon pit and the small folk, etc. We do think, like, that it is intentional. They showed the shots of the small folk, as you said, getting yeeted for an intentional reason. We do think it's set up for the shepherd. They literally showed a shot of sheet... A shot of sheep. Oh my god, that's so hard to say quickly. A shot of sheep. The new book from George R. <laughs> R. Martin. A shot of sheep. But like, it was so unnecessary to put in, but that they put it. We strongly feel that this ties into that. And like, I mean, the thing is, killing small folk isn't a declaration of war. It just, it just isn't. Like, not, no, not when not. it comes between lar to large political factions. Unfortunately, that's the case. Um... Until season two and three. Yeah. Well, you have to kill, like, a large amount of them, right? Like, uh, larger than that. Larger than that. Because it was... Over and over and exactly. over and over. And something else that stood out to me in this scene was Damon immediately being like, Viserys was assassinated. Which, you know, Lord Beesbury also uh, raised some suspicions. We did, at the beginning of the season, have suspicions. We are like, oh, do the high towers do this? It does seem a little suspicious, understandably, but at the same time, he had half his face. So... Not that suspicious. And I know that this is something that we forgot to, to discuss last week, but you and I do feel that in a way, the High Towers did not poison Viserys, but, but the idea of love is a poison, you know, that, that Cersei was talking mm -hmm. about with Sansa in the main series. It'll kill you all the same, or he can suffer and rule in his suffering and see how long he can rule for. So to an extent, it's like you can't be upset with the Greens for giving him some drugs when he felt like shit. Yep. Sure. 
maybe there were days he could have laid off the poppy. But, I mean, it's both. It's both sides. And that's actually something I'm really enjoying is that everything is very nuanced. Even the stuff, I had some misgivings in this episode last night when I watched. And today, I think they've melted away for the oh, most part. Did the dragons That's pretty melt good. them away? Yeah. <laughs> the, oh, they melted yeah, them away. <laughs> and there's also something in that he immediately, he immediately calls Allison a whore. And Rhaenyra does not. He said that whore of a queen, you know, has usurped the throne. And he blames it on Allison, where Rhaenyra says nothing. And Damon has, like, the anger reactions happening, and she is just stewing and trying to understand. She's and hurt. And there does seem that throughout this entire... She's hurt. Yeah, she's absolutely hurt. Her just died, and she was betrayed, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's very hurt. You can see her considering it and trying to understand it in general, and trying to piece together her own plan. And it's yeah. interesting that Damon immediately starts to act for her, and starts to not act necessarily, but just the things he's saying... You know, his reactions come first, not her. That's a, yeah, that's a great point. She's, as you said, considering, which I understand I'm a person who likes to consider things before taking action. Mm-hmm. Same as you. And sometimes. Yeah, I mean, she's still just processing her dad died and her, I think, also processing what that means on an, on an individual, like emotional level. But also that means she'd have to assume the throne and then a wrench gets thrown in. And then another wrench mm-hmm. along with all of that, right? Because Rhaenyra is also miscarrying as this news is delivered. Yeah, she is, this kind of pushes her into an early labor, it seems. The, I think it's um, a coincidence, but... All yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, they start to show it during this scene, though, as she's starting to get pangs, and she is in Absolutely. pain. So, uh, and this leads to her miscarrying, and while she is laboring, Damon is leading war councils. So uh, this is actually in the book that you can hear her screams while Damon leads the war council. This is in Fire and Blood. Well done. I will say we're going to talk a lot about all the little Fire and Blood references mm. because some of this episode is verbatim from the book. A lot of yeah. it. I'd say a good 40 to 50% of this dialogue in this episode is from the books, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated that. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> her sons are sparring in the yard, but Jace is going too hard on Luke um, and... That's really sad. You know, the Kristen Cole style, you have that anger and resentment built up. And in the background, I want to say it's Stefan that's watching them, Stefan Darklin. And he says, now he's not learning anything. Like, go easier on him. What is he learning by you beating the shit out of him like this? And you can see a lot of Jace's internal frustration starting to come out and him as a character start to get fleshed out in this episode a little more. Yeah, Jace is like this really, I think... Someone else described the dynamics within the Greens family and Amond also being very much a parentified child, but Jace definitely is. Um, it's not fair, mm-hmm. but also he's the heir, right? Like he's taking a lot of this really seriously. He's taking Luke learning how to fight seriously, especially, you know, after they maybe maybe it's like a spurred by after that dinner that they had, right? And being like, holy shit, mm-hmm. Eamon can beat my ass. Like, How can I protect my mom? How can I protect my brothers? Yeah. How can I protect my family? Because he didn't seem like this now that I think about it. He wasn't like this in previous episodes. I, I do think now that I uh, talk about it out loud, that was a turning point for him. And being like, I gotta step it up. Yeah, that entire episode, I think, was an eye-opener yeah. for him. In King's Landing, coming back for the first time and realizing, you know, my older uncles cousins whatever you want to call them in the you know the incestual way um however you relate to me that they are all stronger than i am 
people respect them more than us, even though we're the heirs to the throne. Yeah. It's a lot to grapple Especially because one of them is definitely not respectable, but here he is, being crowned, whatever. Here he is. Um, and then Rhaenys' Tele comes in. It's interesting that she's the one who delivers this news, right? Who who fetches the, the boys. I guess they just needed characters. Uh, but she tells them that they need to go to their mother. And then Rhaenyra, while she is in the throes of agony, because she's having a miscarriage, delivers the news that Viserys has died. And I love that Luke is like, Viserys? Because obviously he takes it deeply every time someone in their family passes. Rhaenyra's throne has been usurped. I do like that they really kept that highfalutin language of the success. The like succession has been re- they've repudiated the si- succession or something like that. Anyways, she tells obeisance to the yeah, throne. She tells Jace that no planning for war is to be given without her leave, as she sends them off and like impresses upon him. You are speaking with my voice now as the heir. And then Damon, uh, as you've as you said earlier, right, continues to war plan as Rhaenyra calls from him in the background and is screaming for his name. And one of the maesters is like. Or one of the people's like, do you want to talk to the maester? Damon makes the Kingsguard swear an oath at Dragonmont, or re-swear their oath at Dragonmont. He gets up to leave, and he says, uh, oh, hold on, where's the line? He gets up to leave and says, I'll show you the true meaning of loyalty. Come on, get the Kingsguard. And he calls for them all. Jace and Luke come with them. Uh, this is so cool. Where they filmed this on the Dragonmont in Monsanto, they had crazy environmental issues of just, you know, if it rained, it would turn into a mudslide. They couldn't get things up there. A, a vehicle didn't really fit what they needed to bring it up there, so they had to helicopter everything mm-hmm. up there. And they ended up having to make, like, a miniature town. They had to make their own economy and environment for these people to be able to exist up here for filming. And it was so crazy. Uh, bathrooms, food, some sort of place to shelter. Very insane that they just took over this little area for a little bit and turned it into a new town. What no one's really ever done there, I guess, at that area of the mountaintop. So very cool. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's very beautiful. However, if the weather changed, like the slightest, oh man, those must have been very rough production days. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it. They were like, I don't know, wearing coats and they got their masks on too because it's like COVID. And, but the people they want entertainment, I guess, I don't know. I gotta say, we really gotta hand it to these people because amazing. Damon is basically holding the Kingsguard at gunpoint with Caraxes. And he's like, swear to me, swear to me. It reminds me of Jaharis with his dragon in Fire and Blood where Rojar has been acting out. Right. He was all, we're gonna disinherit them. Shit, we should just put Arya on the throne at this point, which feminist, very feminist. <laughs> but, oh yeah, for sure. For sure. King Jaehaerys, and, and why it really makes me think of that is not just the display of power, because Jaehaerys basically says, Rojar's like, so what do you need to ensure my loyalty? A couple of cupbearer hostages, which again, comes up in this episode as cupbearer hostages. But no, Jaehaerys doesn't need cupbearer hostages because he has Vermithor gigantic Vermithor who is feasting on flesh. And he says, he grows larger every day. Keep your nieces and nephews, my lord. Why would I need hostage? I have your word. That is all I require. But Grand Maester Benefer heard the words he did not speak. Every man and maiden child in the Stormlands is my hostage whilst I ride him, his grace said without saying. And Lord Rojar heard him plain. Yes, absolutely. And we do see Vermithor and... Yeah, there's a lot that comes back to, I guess, Jaehaerys and Alysanne, and I know that they discuss it also quite a bit in some of the different interviews, and I don't know, I hate 
I hate Rogar, Roger, Rojar. I'm not sure. I say his name different every time. I do think I was like, this is so extra of Damon to have Croxies here. Like, I, I thought it was unnecessary, but I don't think it's an unnecessary scene. I'm just saying, like, he didn't need to, right? But it is, like, in a way, a more plain version of what the Greens did. To be honest, it's very similar to Otto gathering all these lords in the throne room and be like, all right, time to spare your vows and pledge. And everyone's like, um, I did this a few years ago and not to that person. Again, where a lady fell and Lord Merriweather, what happened to them, right? Because there is a more implicit threat of death. We see it with Lord Caswell, but, you know, here, uh, he's not sugarcoating it. And Jace is also like, oh my god, why is my stepfather so weird? I notice he doesn't call him dad, he calls him Damon. He calls him Damon, and then you can see there are all these little looks between him about Damon to Damon throughout the episode that they're really setting up some context for this relationship mm. and maybe some distrust and some tension because Jace hopes to stand between his mother, the queen, and anyone that threatens her. And he sees maybe Damon does have a sort of threat. And here, I do think that this is very similar to Otto's display of power with bringing the lords into a room, into the slaughterhouse, and saying, who dares dissent so I can kill you? Um, that's also what Damon is saying yeah. here. That's, uh, yeah, to die. Um, knowing, you know, for Jace, this is really rough because he kind of has to go and watch. It, it isn't unlike the Bran Stark with Ned scene in some aspects, I guess, mm -hmm. in the beginning with the boys where they have to go watch Ned kill someone, a betrayer. Mm -hmm. It's like, look, deserter, Damon yeah. will know if you don't look. Mm -hmm, the deserter. Uh, but seeing how Damon rules, you can see that Jace is watching and thinking, is this how my mother would do it? Is this how I myself would um, do it? Damon says, I'll show you the true meaning of loyalty. And then he says to these men, I'm presenting you with a choice. But he's not. Caraxes, like, with his noodly-ass neck, as cute as he is, is glaring down at them, ready to unleash flame the moment Damon says so, or the moment that he picks up on a wrong vibe from Damon, as we learned this episode, could happen at any time. Uh, it, it's actually really, I mean, it's a scene of power is power. Yeah. Damon did this for power's sake, which we see him do through the episode. We see him get uncomfortable. We see him conscious that he is not as powerful as his wife, who he crowns queen. He does not hold that power. Maybe he even sees her wasting that power in a way, because she's not utilizing it to immediately go blow up the countryside and take her throne back, and she's thinking about others first before their ambitions. Uh, but you can almost see Damon is doing this because he didn't want to be in there where those screams were overpowering his war council, so he couldn't think because his wife was laboring. And he said, fine, we'll go do this instead. This is the next fun thing on our list of war. Yeah. Let's go do this for fun and make sure these people are still loyal to us. And you do have to do that to an extent, and, and dragons are your power, and that's very clearly what he says the entire episode, that our power is dragons, our nuclear forces are our powers. Yeah, and that's definitely Damon's philosophy towards the whole thing, and, and maybe, maybe he has a point, maybe not, like in regards to, you gotta make them swear to you, right, and then everything falls, because look at what happens with Harold Westerling, though... I don't know. I know that Stefan Darkland seemed like a little hesitant, but I was also like, I don't know. He seemed on board. He seemed on board with the whole thing. We didn't need to do all this. Everyone was in it. <laughs> and, but as you said, right, it's the spectacle of power with the, with the dragon. And maybe part of it was 
wanting to take out some of that frustration and getting away from there. And yeah. I'm not trying to whitewash Damon at all. Like, I think that a lot of what he does <laughs> is really obviously like bad in this episode, but I'm wondering is part of him refusing to go to Rainier. Part of it is, as you said, right? He wants this power. He's been planning for this war for like, Lord knows how long. He wants to take action, right? And we've seen that he's someone who likes to immediately, he likes to jump first, look after. Is there a part of him that doesn't want to be in the room as Rhaenyra is at risk during this miscarriage and this Mm -hmm. birthing because of, I don't know, even though obviously it's more traumatic for Lena who died, but the trauma of what happened with Lena and not wanting, not wanting to be there. I mean, he's lost three, two wives by freak accidents. And so yeah. two wives have died well, by freak accidents. That's interesting accidents. that you call one of them a freak accident. But yeah, interesting. <laughs> what? <laughs> Chloe, a freak what? accident. Uh, uh, Damon in the veil with Rhea. Who could know what happened? <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> oh my gosh. But, you know, like, and there's that. But also, is it that he doesn't want the decision to be put on him again of having to be like, so what do you want us to do? Cut her open. Um, But it also speaks to the trust Rhaenyra has in him to call him because I do think it's an intentional choice that she doesn't usually have Mm -hmm. other men or, or maesters in the room. And it's just her and the midwives at that time slash maids. Yeah. I thought the birthing scene was absolutely emotional. It was really well done. They did not cut away. They showed Visenya uh, who came out stillborn, and it was awful. It was absolutely terrible, and it's all intercut with Rhaenyra and Syrax, which is amazing. So while Damon is using Caraxes for power over the Kingsguard, you have Rhaenyra in absolute horrific pain trying to give birth to Visenya, and you're flashing between Syrax over in the Dragon Mont screaming. And I thought that was just great for the grander themes of the bond between the dragon and the rider in this episode and reacting to your emotions and your pain and interesting in the face of Caraxes being kind of restrained. Mm, yeah. I know that, you know, this is like a scene that kicks everything off in both The Princess and the Queen and In Fire and Blood. And I was kind of wondering, is it me or did it look also like the umbilical cord might have been wrapped around the fetus's neck? It looked like it was wrapped around it one way or another, yeah. So that was going to be a complicated birth regardless of whether it was premature or not. Obviously, mm-hmm. premature is is complicated. And I I thought it was smart the way they did it and had it, you know, as something that was very stressful and premature and like with, with the blood for Rhaenyra, right? As opposed to it being clear or anything, because in the book, they have Rhaenyra saying get out monster get out right and kind of painting her in this like really terrible light which Ryan Condal says that fire and blood is written with a green bias and green propaganda so just putting it out there saying get out monster it's pretty unsympathetic right especially in a world whether that's our current real world or the one in A Song of Ice and Fire, because it's absolutely true in our own real world as well, that women are expected to be motherly, regardless, right? Like, unconditionally. And the idea of seeing your child as a monster is almost, it's a very taboo thing, right? And it makes sense, though, when you put it in the context of the first episode, her life being at stake and wanting this expelled from your body because it is threatening you, right? There's a real real fear that's shown there 
because of what she knows the risk is to to her life with that. Yeah, it's literally life or death for her. And that mm-hmm. she got to take it into her own hands, quite literally. She birthed her, so she told her ladies to stay back. And there's actually a line where one of her ladies says, just keep the same nature you've had. This is your fifth, you know, you or this is, you've had five, you can yeah. do this. And sh- that was really sad slash sweet in a way that her ladies in waiting there also know all about this. There's also something, you know, the intimacy that was allowed for her to have that child and then... Uh, there's the parallel scene from the last episode where Alicent is watching as Viserys is wrapped up and bandaged by the Silent Sisters. And because she's not the heir, mm-hmm. and because she's not in King's Landing giving birth to this child, she gets to actually wrap up Visenya herself. I don't think Alicent really had a choice to do so for Viserys out of love for him. I don't think that she had a choice to carefully bandage him herself. He's you also know? way I think bigger. the Silent Sisters have to. That too. But... uh. <laughs> I think the Silent Sisters probably have to, right? Like, it's probably impartial that the King of Westeros needs to be taken care of by the systems of Westeros, if that happens to him. And yeah. she's on Dragonstone and has this ability, and also that she wouldn't let anyone else do it. That's also very her, that she had to, just like when Joffrey's born, right, that she treks up all those stairs. Even though she really didn't have to, she could have let Lainor take the baby to go see Alicent, or... Could have even said, no, the bitch can come here. You know, if she really wanted to get sassy, she wouldn't. But she could have, she could have said something like that. But it was important that she did it herself. And this too was important that she couldn't let anyone else do this but her. Yeah, I think uh, she wants ownership over that as well as it's kind of her way of saying goodbye. And Mm -hmm. as, as you're saying, like, she's the one who does it, right? She's the one who sends them off. Same as how she was the one who had to send off her mother. She was the one who had to give the yes. order for Cyrax for or Cyrax, yes. depending on who you are. I'm Chloe and I say Cyrax. I say Cyrax. You're Eliana and you say... Cyrax and I'm trying to be, I don't know. But they say Rainey's different ways, so I don't know. Whatever. <sighs> don't get me started. There's some Valyrian that David J. Peterson wrote that didn't make it in the show. He's been posting, I think I mentioned it last week, but check it out if you haven't. Archive of our own. Look up his account, David J. Peterson, who does all of sorts of conlang for all sorts of things. He did some translations for the following lines that didn't make it in the show that I wanted to share. Visenya, my only daughter, born in abomination. Mayhaps she is a warning from the gods. She is an augury, born on the day my father died and my crown was stolen. Mm. I would have called her Visenya, but she was not meant to be. So there are a few iterations this script may have gone through of what they wanted and what they were going to include. And I do wish we could have seen that scene. I love, I mean, I love Emma Darcy's Valyrian and Matt Smith's. The, together, they, they have great rapport with that. And I liked Millie's a lot, too. Millie did a fantastic job in the first half of the season. So I like any scene. We get some high Valyrian. But there were some scenes written then, it seems. There were, yeah. there were. There were. And then we get to, as you were discussing, the funeral pyre, which uh, gets interrupted with, I mean, it, it's kind of like a good thing, right? Sir Eric arriving with Viserys' crown in the middle of the funeral, and then he swears to Rhaenyra, which, we love Sir Eric. I know. I, e for Eliana. I'm gonna be honest, yeah. this was so emotional. This entire scene, yeah. like these last two scenes, I, I did shed some tears. Don't make fun of me. I cried because it was just so beautiful and very sad. And he actually gives Kingsguard vows. They are eerily similar to the Night's Watch. Uh, they say, 
I swear toward the queen with all my strength and give my blood for hers. I shall take no wives, hold no lands, father no children. I shall guard her secrets, obey her commands, ride at her side, and defend her name and honor. The first time we get Kingsguard vows. Amazing. Thank you, Ryan Condal. Yeah, and it also tracks with some of what we learn in Fire and Blood, right? Which, during mm-hmm. the founding of the Kingsguard, we had this line of, Visenya molded their vows on those of the Night's Watch. Like the black-cloaked crows of the wall, the white sword served for life, surrendering all their lands, titles, and worldly goods to live a life of chastity and obedience, with no reward but honor. Hmm. A horse! A horse, of course. <laughs> not a horse, not a horse. I will say regarding Viserys' crown, I forgot to discuss this last week, but it turns out the whole thing we've been discussing about the motifs of the binding, maybe part of it is that was just in at the time. Uh, Viserys' crown has like those like lines across it, same as like what's on the Kingsguard armor and everyone else's clothes. Mm. Oh, it was just great. in vogue. Yeah. Very in vogue. That was the style. It really was. He's serving Targaryen realness. To quote Patty Considine. <laughs> I don't know. Jaehaerys, uh, you know, Jaehaerys' crown is fine. It, it doesn't, it's not what I wanted, though. I wanted the real deal. I get it. Whatever. They have to have some sort of, you know, they have to be some sort of show, show differences in what they do. But Jaehaerys' crown is great in the books. It's the rainbow gems, and it's seven rainbow gems in... A band and Alisan has a similar crown. So I would have yeah. loved to see Rhaenyra in that one, but that would have been a- cool. That would have been cool. This is what they gave me instead. I'll live with it. They didn't even put a bunch of rubies on the Conqueror's crown, so you know one. One little ruby. It turns out that Aegon the Conqueror was broke as fuck when he got here. <laughs> he spent it all on the war. Understandable. Oh, makes sense. It was a big war. <laughs> So the end of the scene has everyone bending the knee to Rhaenyra, announced as queen as Daemon crowns her in front of the pyre, which I think is very beautiful, very Just sad like sentiment. Just like Lion King, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, actually, yes, like when Luke was looking <laughs> at the painted map. Everything the sun touches is yours. Yeah. Everything just the, like the map glows is yours. Baby Simba and all the antelopes bow. <laughs> uh, everyone is bending the knee except Rainey's, which is... A nice tense moment, and I actually really love the way she's portrayed that she still hasn't submitted to what Rhaenyra's doing. She's there, she's supporting. We see in the uh, in the following scenes some moments where she kind of gives approval for her kin to do things in Rhaenyra's council, but she's not participating. She is hanging back. In the book, she's described as having been a big part of the dragon conversation and pushing, well, we have Maylees, we have Maylees, but I actually really like in the show that she is keeping her distance still and watching and observing. And it makes the scene after she see, after she speaks to Corlys that much more powerful, right? Because despite his agreements, Rhaenyra finally ends up impressing her. She finally says, wow, she could rule this realm. That is a queen that I could be behind. But here, she still hasn't bent the knee. Her knees don't bend so easily. They don't. And, you know, that's what happens as you get older. Yeah, that's um, for fucking sure, sister. Mine absolutely. hurt like fuck right now. But absolutely, I, I do like that they have her holding out, right? Not swearing to a side. And also, I think it's uh, important that, and we can talk about this a little later with Corlys too, like, Rhaenyra doesn't hold Rhaenys hostage. It actually is a choice for Rhaenys, right? Alicent was like, mm-hmm. you're hostage, you should swear to me. And she was like, uh, what the fuck? 
Then we get the the one of the war councils, right? There's like a bazillion of them. This one is the post pyre one, in which Reyna is a cupbearer. She's so sweet. She's so sweet. And also, I like that both Bela and Reyna have this spot at at the painted table. They are part of these war councils. Not that they like really speak during them, which would have been awesome, but that they are in the room and they are there and and brought to the table is important training for when they eventually will rule. Yeah, she actually very much makes sure that Reyna yeah. follows her to the table. She beckons for her to come after Reyna offers her her wine. After she offers yes. her her Negroni, actually. <laughs> it's got Prosecco. Come on, Bela. Come on. Uh, Bela follows her as well, but first, Bela looks to Rainey's for permission is something that I noticed on my rewatch. And Rainey's nods and gives Bela permission and says, yes, you may go to the table. I will allow you. Which I really like that. Like you said, she's not being held hostage by Rhaenyra. She obviously, I mean, she hasn't bent the knee, but she's still kind of supporting from afar and letting her grandchildren be participating in this and learning. As she says to Corlys, this is now our war. It is not just their war. We cannot separate from it. It's too late. And she knows that these granddaughters need training to understand that she'd be hurting them yeah it's it's actually a great point what you're saying because it's not just like she was like what does it mean what does this marriage alliance between our houses really mean is it just like a something to you know appease me right like will Bela and Reyna have actual like voices and that they are at that table flanking the queen is the opposite of painting is the opposite of chipping away a window in your jail cell Yes, And it's something that yes. we were discussing last episode that Rainey's isn't just in this. She's in this thinking about the future and what the ramifications would be in terms of like for her granddaughter's future, for the future of other uh, women heirs. Lords Keltigar, Massey, Darklin, and Bar Emmet have all declared for Rhaenyra. Bar Emmet. And <laughs> as a reminder, House Keltigar, uh, we have Lord Bartimos here. They got crabs. Um, not in that way. They, the, the crab is their sigil. It's very fun. We love them. Um, they are also the blood of old Valyria. So that's interesting to note, especially because he's the one who calls out like what their, what their advantage is. We've got House Darklin, which, uh, again, one of the King's guards, Stefan Darklin is in this, not exactly in the same way that he was in the books. Uh, he's the one in the books who flees and brings the crown and... You know, he's supposed to have strong... The, the House Darkland usually has strong ties, maybe, with the crown in a way. Especially with queens, considering that Shankwell Dark, mm. uh, Alisanne's queen's guard, is from House Darkland, a bastard daughter of House Darkland. Um, and that she was allowed to pursue that path in the first place. We also have the fact that House Darkland is gone by the main story. Because Lord Dennis was like, you know what's fun? Let's hold Ares Targaryen hostage to get more of what they want. And Ares was not pleased about that. We also have, as you said, House Massey. Uh, there's a couple of them running around in the present day of the story. The most famous is, I think, Justin Massey. He's hilarious. I don't know if everyone would describe him that way. I do. We have Bar <laughs> who also supported Layman Laner's Claire. Oh my god. Who also supported Laner's claim during the Great Council of 101. And this lord, interestingly, does not have a name. Yeah, not yet. Who knows? Maybe he'll get one. Not like a first name, I guess. Yeah. And there's not, there, there's something interesting that geographically 
Rhaenyra seems to have the immediate support of the Crownlands, right? Which Crownlands, I feel like they just like come with a domain geographically mm-hmm. for supporting Targaryens and Dragonstone. They're close to Dragonstone, but they're also not far from King's Landing. So making them in that close proximity to two of the most royal places in the land gives them, you know, automatic, they, they usually support the crown. Yeah. Just putting it out there. Again, Crusader Kings 2, a Game of Thrones mod. Oh if God. none of you else play, you really should. It's free to play now. I'm pretty sure CK2 is. So you can just get that, get the mod for free, lose your life. It's not a lot of people. Like, those are not big houses. They do not have a lot of resources as far as laborers. Uh, yeah, it's worrisome. As Damon points out next, which was also an exact quote from Fire and Blood, 30 knights, 100 crossbowmen, 300 men-at-arms made up the rest of the Dragonstone garrison that had always been deemed sufficient for a fortress of such strength. As an instrument of conquest, however, our army leaves something to be desired, Prince Damon observed sourly. Uh, they don't have the foot soldiers. That's where we have a big issue. The Reach has the numbers. Dragonstone has dragons. That's where we end that. That's, I mean, as we see with the dragon pit in the book, the world is big, but little people turn it around in a chapter, right? The storming Uh of the dragon pit is like, it turns out if you took hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of very focused people that want to stab some dragons, they could. They could, especially because the people, you know, were like, how come, how come, you know, Sunfire and... Dreamfire and all of them didn't come up and like defend Aegon and Helena. I'm like, because they're chained. Yep. <laughs> they're, they're, they're on little leashes in the dragon pit, which is I mean, what happens also most in of the their dragon deaths. pit storming. Yeah. 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 Most of their deaths come because they were chained down. Uh, That's true. The dragon Except is for not Quentin's. a slave. Quentin's yeah. gets, Quentin also gets fired up when those dragons are chained. Yeah. 430 men guarding the garrison at Dragonstone. And in A Song of Ice More and Fire, to put it into context, Runley has what, like 40,000 fucking men of the Reach mostly and some of the Stormlands. So now they He's don't have the Stormlands. They definitely don't have the Reach's support. That's a lot of people to go against. Yeah, and they don't yeah. have the Lannisters, yep, as they discuss later. Yep. Uh, so they're really they're really hoping for the veil, which does have usually sizable. They they usually have like pretty good crops and stuff, and they're hoping for Winterfell, of course. They're confident in all of their allegiances. Corlys sails to Dragonstone, and they're like really hoping he's going to declare for Rhaenyra, but it's not sure. And again, the Westerlands are are out. Damon would have to smooth things out with the Riverlands hoping to gather a huge host to Harrenhal. But before they can continue this planning, a ship is spotted off the coast. It is flying a banner of a three-headed green dragon. I'm like, wow, you just you just threw all the heraldry out, didn't you? You were just like, we're going to stop pretending now. Because <laughs> they literally did the gold dragon in the last episode. I'm sorry, not to be an annoying book fan, but first of all, we literally, maybe this is what Otto is choosing or what Alicent is choosing as her sigil, Otto's to be dumb. fair. Yeah, they wanted that. But Aegon's sigil should be the gold dragon, which we see at his coronation in the last chapter, or last episode. It's not only cooler, not only is it cooler to have a gold dragon, it is also a little, I don't know, sets the sage a little for the Blackfires and the gold. Mm, beneath the gold, the bitter steel. Yeah, the, I, I can't remember that. Golden Company? And 
I don't know. I'm wondering if that's Alicent's personal sigil now, if she's taking a green dragon as the Dowager Queen, because this was her that sent the missives. And he does say that he's here for her, not for Aegon. He doesn't say he was sent by King Aegon. He no, says, I am Aegon. here for Queen Dowager. Oh, my God. <laughs> Talk about monster get out. That's him. Monster get <laughs> mm, out. Mm. Um, when you said that, when you were talking, I was thinking that I'm like, yes, calling your child a monster is horrible, isn't it? <sighs> but that's why I'm like, maybe this is Alicent's new personal sigil she's taking as a green three-headed dragon. I love the parallel here that in the last episode, Alicent was like, wow, you all plan to usurp Rhaenyra with my son for years and years and years, and now I'm just finding out when I thought about it. And here, Damon and everybody else has kind of known it was probably going to come to this, and Damon has been planning he has been getting eggs. He's like, yeah, I've been taking eggs from the Dragonmont like every other day. I'm in the caves every 10 minutes checking out, you know, if I can lull some dragons out, naming off the dragons in the Mont that they can use and that they can get other people to hopefully mount, uh, figuring out allies out loud. He's been planning this like he knows where he's going to sail. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm getting off at this exit so that I can go to Harrenhal. Don't worry. Yeah. I already have this planned. I've been thinking about it for a year or seven or ten. He's definitely been planning it this whole time, but I guess at least until this episode does hasn't really seemed to undermine Rhaenyra because you can see a, a couple of the lords are like, uh, it's really interesting that that Damon's leading all this, and what about that screaming woman that we all pledged to over there? <laughs> right, like I don't think he's discussed with them yet prior to this moment in his plans, but he has had it all planned, right? He's got a spreadsheet somewhere, and he's like, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, he's like, I'm mm -hmm. ready for this project plan. I've got it all prepared. Yeah, I will say it's interesting when they talk about how, what dragons they have. And Rhaenyra's like, none of our dragons have been to war. The last three that they do bring up, Sea Smoke, Vermithor, and Silverwing. They actually have all tasted war before. We've seen Sea Smoke in war. Vermithor and Silverwing, as a reminder, have both been in war against Magor. Interesting that Sea Smoke was brought up as a viable option to be mounted. I guess we're just never going to see Laner moving over, moving across that I mean, like, is there, is there something Damon knows that we don't? Because he's out here also, like, kind of trying to to maybe tame, or I don't know, Vermithor. We'll come back to that discussion. But I'm like, is there something he mm -hmm. knows that I don't? I don't know. I definitely Anyways. think he's trying to tame. We'll see. So the Greens offer terms. I love Syrax's armor. Um... I never know which way my pronunciation is going to go each time, but I love that Cyrax has accessories now. It's so great. Uh, I loved Cyrax looks bigger, more adult. Cyrax has definitely true. grown up with Rhaenyra. I, I'm like, catch 22, I love that Rhaenyra rode Cyrax. It's interesting that Fire and Blood, with its green propaganda, says Rhaenyra could not fly her dragon right away, which seems like, I don't know, uh, she's a wild girl, maybe she could. But I would have loved her getting on her dragon and going down there is also a show of power, not unlike Caraxes, right? And obviously, this is a great parallel to episode two, when we had the Dragonstone Bridge before. But um, Rhaenyra shows up on her dragon as her big show of power, and probably good for protection, being honest, to feel out yeah. the situation. Absolutely. It's a... Uh... It's it's great, and um, I guess it's been a few days since after the miscarriage, right? So maybe that's why. Like, it's got to take Otto some time, but who knows how long it's taken Otto? I don't know. I don't know. By boat, right? We should have started measuring <sighs> this. It seems a couple days by boat. Yeah, a day or two. Otto will only speak to Rhaenyra to give Alicent's terms. 
So interestingly, this is a chain droid because we know Otto Hightower, we all want to punch his face. Um, so it gives a little bit of a better continuity and emotional reaction for the audience here. But in Fire and Blood, it is Grandmaster Orville who goes and delivers the terms, not necessarily like Allison's, but Rhaenyra does take the chain from Orville and is like, you're not worthy of this, and like gives it and puts it on to Girardi's. Oh, which is great, because instead she just flings the hands pin off of Otto and calls him a fucking traitor. Which is my favorite scene in the whole episode. I love that. Amazing. She just like takes it, she's frustrated, and she like pedally just throws it. She's like, you don't deserve this. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Fucking traitor. I love it, uh, I love it. It's my absolute favorite. Otto says that if they swear obeisance to Aegon, the following will happen. Dragonstone is hers. It will pass to her true-born son, Jace, which felt very big to me that A... That showed they were willing to legitimize, in their eyes, her sons if she swore to this and if she stepped down. But also should ask the Learned Hands podcast on this, right? Does this mean that's a legal document calling Jace her trueborn son? I don't know. Could this be used in a Westerosi court? Either way, they've stolen her house, so whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, but it does show that Allison is saying, this is your out. Like, I will, I can make this happen for you. Which is interesting that she feels that that's another part of Rhaenyra's life that, like, maybe this is something Rhaenyra wants. Like, she, I'm just thinking of these terms coming from what Alicent thinks Rhaenyra wants and what Alicent thinks is a good life for Rhaenyra. Uh, Luke will be the heir to House Velaryon. Good. He doesn't want it, but that's okay. Aegon and Viserys would then be cupbearers and squires at court. Hostages on the couch. <laughs> Me and you on the couch, just pointing at the screen, going hostages, hostages. Hostage. <laughs> oh. We also have, and these terms are also from the book, right? That any lords or knights that conspired against Aegon would also be pardoned. And I am kind of wondering: is this like within the show's version? Is this Allison's doing because she was the one who got to Aegon first? Because if it were me and I were Rhaenyra or anyone, I would not. Trust Otto Hightower with my life whatsoever. I'm not getting on a boat with Otto Hightower where he has control over like my <laughs> safety at all. Ever. Never. Never. Naturally, no one likes these terms. They were pretty shit terms, I guess. I don't know. They were all right, I guess, if you were uh, someone who's conceding. I don't know. Anyways, Damon definitely doesn't like these terms. And he's just like constantly speaking up, speaking over Rainier and trying to negotiate on behalf of her the whole time. The whole entire episode. That's like his whole thing this episode. Uh, I noticed that a lot, that he is, you know, 101 training her like, no, this is mm-hmm. what you should be doing. But it's not even it's training not this time, you know? He's just yeah. like... Doing. He's just doing... It's something that like is charming about him in other episodes, but now suddenly you're put into a different context, right? It's really interesting because when you, when you do that in a different scenario like this, suddenly you're like, it's actually super annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well done, I think. Otto quotes Fire and Blood saying Aegon has all of these trappings of powers, these signs of legitimacy to prove he's the king, and that they have great lords already considering their proposals. Rhaenyra reminds him those men swore oaths to her, but he calls them stale oaths. That that changed when her father sired a son, and sadly, she's the last to realize it. You know, in regards to being the last to realize it, I think that's kind of funny, because I'm like, so you admitted Otto Hightower. You admit that Viserys never meant for this to happen, and that you were usurping. <laughs> I'm just saying, you're going against the king's word, and the king's word is law. 
I do feel for Alicent because it's like no one believes her and she's like, no, I'm actually serious. She's like, literally, I am serious. It's kind of funny. She's I like, feel for that girl. Okay, Jan. Whatever, sure, honey. Jan. You can just say that to people, but you don't have to say it in private, Allison. You know, is kind of the vibe they're giving her. Even Aegon, Aegon, as, as y'all remember, is like, uh, yeah, right. He's like, I'm really sure my dad didn't say that, and he does not care for me. He one, hates me. One fig. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> she pulls his hand of the kingpin off, like we said, and calls him a fucking traitor. Fucking yes, traitor. Yes. 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 Best part. Then he, then he hands her the last the knife. The final. Yeah, the last knife, which is the page that she had ripped out of Nemeria's book when she said, fuck Septas, for the love Queen Alicent and her once bore one another. So, of course, in episode one, she and Alicent talk about Nemeria and how Princess Nemeria led her Roinar across the narrow sea on 10,000 ships to flee their Valyrian pursuers. She took Lord Moore's Martell of Dorne to husband and burned her own fleet at Sunspear to show her people they were finished running. But on the torn page, this specific page has, lashed together with ropes and cables, Nymeria's fleet dispersed at the coming of the first storm, sweeping them across the sea, east, west, and south. Yeah, I guess that's that sailor fleeing from the storm thing, but whatever. Um, There's a lot going on there. There's something... That I'm like, Alicent, you're sending her the page from the book about the woman that helps to get towards gender-neutral gender succession in Dorne for terms. That would require critical thinking and going against what people think um, she should do. And I can't believe Alicent kept this page that whole time. She's like, oh, Rhaenyra touched it and gave it to me. <laughs> Probably presses it to her heart, you know, every every like few days it's a sad bitter irony of what it represents and that she doesn't realize that yes she's sending it like begging from her heart let's not set this nation ablaze we love one another this is my last plea and this is what i can give you for the bed that i've made and that i have to lie in and this is yours now but also that she doesn't realize what a slap in the face it also is it is she as again wants to make a window in her prison Right, she doesn't mm -hmm. really understand the truth of what it, what Nymeria stands for for a bunch of people. Uh, yeah. Also, they're not part of the Seven Kingdoms. Reminder. Yep. Not There's six. Time. Six kingdoms. I think it's hilarious that Otto says no blood need be spilled, even though <laughs> Beesbury's already dead, Caswell's dead for trying to to let Rhaenyra know. And again, where are Lady Fell and Lord Merryweather? Are they dead? Um, and also, yeah, sure, a bunch of the small folk, also, they are dead. Blood has already been spilled. Shut the fuck up, Otto. Get out of my face. I will say, at least he did, whether or not he meant to carry, whether or not Otto meant to carry out his daughter's wishes, like, had Rhaenyra said yes, whether or not Otto agreed to it, I will say that it does seem these are her wishes. Like, at least he came with her wishes and sure. had the honor to read what she told him she wanted. Uh, as you wish, right? He said in the last episode, even though yeah. he knew how it would Furious. go, even though he knew the answer to all of this and what would happen, that no matter what, it means war. I agree, but if, keep Wesley's words out of your mouth. Out of high tower. <laughs> Damon once more tries to interrupt, and she says that she will give her, the queen, reminder, uh, she will give her response on the morrow to King's Landing. Bad news about how that goes. Yeah, thanks to CRX, you know, interrupting and being, Rah! 
Uh, yeah, she's tired of Damon finally talking over her. That's her inner emotion, too. I mean, that Cyrax yeah. gave a great roar. That's how she was feeling. She's like, shut the fuck up. Let me fucking talk, Damon. And I think that's fuck. important, right? Like, that even if you're not voicing it, that, you know, again, those subconscious thoughts with the dragons. Mm -hmm. So we come back to another war council. We've got like a million of these this episode. Rhaenyra does not want to go to war because as a defender of the realm, she feels like that would be bad and would also say bad things about her reign. And she doesn't want to reign over ash and bone. Interesting repetition. Hmm. Mm -hmm. What could it mean? She clears what the room to speak to Daemon, Warmonger, Targaryen, oh privately. God. And says, you, as previous heir to the Iron Throne, obviously know my duty is more than crushing Oathbreakers and has to do with the Song of Ice and Fire. Damon, however, obviously does not know all of this. It turns out Viserys never trusted him with this information. He is very unhappy, unhappy enough, and he turns to domestic assault and begins to choke Rhaenyra. While choking her, he says, my brother was a slave to his omens and portents. Anything to make his feckless reign appear to have purpose. Dreams didn't make us kings. Dragons did. We finally hear the line from the trailer. Who could have guessed that this line from the trailer was spoken while Damon strangles his wife? Great. Literally no one. None of us could have guessed that. Actually, some people thought it was already like written out of the show, you know? Yeah, that does happen a lot of times with these trailer bits. Yeah, uh, Succession is the worst about it. Like, if you watch Succession, any trailer you see for Succession, you're not seeing that footage in real life. Get lucky. Yeah, They did that all the time in the rest of development, too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Rhaenyra responds to him, and her response throughout this is, he never told you. Did he? Wow. Wordlessly, that, like, she understood that because he was, you know, abusing her, strangling her. That's how she realized that he is jealous, that he is feeling like he has a lack of power and he's trying to power trip on anyone near him. He's punching up at her or strangling up at her. Uh, 93 letter Jamie in the house. Viserys never trusted him enough, probably, to tell him about the song in full. Or worse, Damon spoke like this and was like, you and your fucking omens importance, brother, this is stupid. I don't care about this. And maybe that's what made Viserys realize he was not a worthy candidate for the throne. Maybe oh. he realized Daemon would never take this seriously. Uh, and now Rhaenyra has access not only to all of this power as a queen. Sure, she doesn't have quite the backing that Aegon has at King's Landing right now, but she has access to a whole lot of power. And she's more worried about her realm, right? She's more worried about the safety of the realm and how she can protect this realm than accessing that power and using it, where Damon, I mean, I think he sees it. He wants that. He wants to be able to feel that power. She, she sees him kind of for the first time. You can see Emma D'Arcy's eye movements here watching Matt Smith. Rhaenyra sees someone she never maybe thought capable of doing that, but now realizes, oh, this was always within you. The next scene really ties in, right, where you have Corliss, who had just quit chasing this legacy. He's like, wow, chasing legacy power and ambition has done nothing but ruin my house, and maybe I should hold my loved ones close to me, return home, and quit this. But Damon doesn't see that now. Damon is chasing that. Yeah, he's chasing, I guess, power. There's also pride there, right? Because he's like, yes. aren't you angry? Aren't you angry? There's vengeance wrapped into there too, right? That the high towers stole your seat and maybe he thinks that they actually killed Viserys, which 
you'd have a face, mm-hmm. dude. And as you said, like the the jealousy aspect, not just of the power, but that maybe the love aspect too, right? Of mm-hmm. Viserys never believing in him. We see uh, the outburst that Damon has in like episode three uh, when the messenger shows that Viserys did not show faith in Damon, right? Mm-hmm. And finally does something for the good of the realm, right? By backing this war, which is again, thinking of the realm in totality, as you're saying that Rhaenyra is doing. And he does that in reaction to what Viserys does. And he's doing this again, like in reaction. I'm not saying like he's doing it because Viserys hurt him. Absolutely not. People are people should control their own reactions and actions to things, right? That that's that's I don't know. I feel like I shouldn't have to explain that, but I'm gonna explain that. Like absolutely this is uh Damon's own actions here, but like just dissecting what's going on. And also it's it's interesting because you know, when you and I were discussing because unfortunately this episode did leak early. We did not watch the leaks, but it was a difficult weekend of avoiding things on the internet and every now and then things would slip like we saw like hints that maybe damon does something right we weren't sure what it was you might have seen a bit more i I thought it might be like a slap right like a snap out of it like either way like it's not excusable it's still you know domestic violence but that it's a choke is interesting considering he's been speaking over this whole time right like cutting off her voice silencing her yes and something else that's going on there is like, you know, uh, Damon is almost kind of in this role, as you were saying earlier about him in the plotting of Rhaenyra's auto and all this, trying to undermine her power. Uh, I will say, interestingly, it seems that a lot of casual audiences, right, they don't seem surprised by Damon's actions. They, they, they see this completely in line with the Damon that they've seen in earlier episodes. So I do want to say that, which insinuates that, you know, many people thought that his progression to this moment was set up well. This this turn, this or not turn, like this action is in line with all of that. And there's also, I think, you know, you were talking about callbacks to episode two mm-hmm. with uh, that standoff between Damon and Otto when Rhaenyra gets in his face and tells him that, you know, she is the thing standing between him and power. She's the object of his ire. And now he's finally acting upon maybe those pent-up feelings i mean viserys isn't there for all of it and and now she truly is for the first time he's seeing she was always in between me and power i think it's a very interesting scene in comparison to alicent and larry's yeah right interesting of larry's yeah. abusing alicent in a way whether you know she accepts it or goes on with it herself and is okay with it or not she obviously was uncomfortable and put into a position where she was in pain emotionally and humiliated and that's really what this was over Rhaenyra too how do two women who are the queens in Westeros two separate queens but how do two queens still get treated this way right you know like it shows it shows that their power is limited obviously because how is the queen of Westeros being strangled how is the queen of Westeros being fetishized in this gross manner in order to protect herself in a way just interesting scenes to contrast from the last episode in this yeah, and it's also something that we see echoes within their house, right? That this idea mm-hmm. that the people, unfortunately, who are supposed to love you, who are supposed to care for you and protect you, who are your family, but also maybe your lover, but also your family, don't. We see Viserys, no number behind them because he never gets crowned except for with molten gold. We see Viserys do the same things, right, to Daenerys. I, 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 that's the thing, right? And like, even then, it's interesting because Rhaenyra doesn't give it to him, Damon. She, as you said, right, she realizes he never told you, did he, right? She doesn't tell him the prophecy. 
She doesn't mm-hmm. give it to him or give him what he wants. And I also kind of wonder, is it like a last last gasp to an extent? Like, he's starting to realize that he's irrelevant without Rhaenyra. I would say so. With Viserys gone. It's it's a lot of, I mean, I think I think this is a lot of, we've been saying before, this is a daemon that we see in the books earlier on when we were seeing that very roguish side of him. But this is also a daemon that people have speculated upon being in the books, right? The maesters like say, like, this is part of who daemon is. And I think he's a complex character. Yeah, maybe there's a part of him that feels an affection for his niece, but is it more than his, is it more than his pride, his masculinity and his desire for power? I think there's a lot of this, too, in his scene with Vermithor we're going to come back to soon. There's something with Viserys and with Rhaenyra and the relationship between all three of these heads of the dragon that I think we'll talk about. Yeah, and yeah, it's a it's an exertion of its power. It's the only language he knows. That's why he only knows the dragons and not the other sides of the He's actually trilingual. He, he speaks American Westerosi. He speaks High Valyrian, and he speaks power. I'd like you to oh respect god. his trilingual languages. Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, but but yeah, those are the... I mean, this is the only other kind of power that he knows. That that hard power versus soft power. Speaking of soft power, let's talk about Rainies and Corlys. Rainies reunites with him, and she tells him she feels abandoned. That he abandoned their entire family when he left to go fighting east. Or when he left to go fighting south. Now Vaymond is dead for bringing the bastardy claims to court, and Rainey's feels like they've lost all, everything. Yeah, so you had the domestic drama that's unfolding within each of these couples, right? And this idea of being a united household, but we're looking at the houses within the house. And I love that Corlys goes, I lost everything, and Rainey's corrects him with, we lost Corlys, all right? They're a couple, they're a unit, they're both parents, they're both this house, they're equals they're supposed to be equals in this partnership right because corley's bc follows rainey's advice here they are both they've both been grieving all of these past few years it's an interesting contrast to damon and rainera whom we see they are divided even in their grief they are apart damon's over by the sea emoting and rainera is alone as she was cradling her child and, and damon just looked on watching her grieve and didn't go and comfort her which, you know, to be fair, like that's that was kind of what happened with Corley's and Rainey's, but they're they're working on mending that. Yeah, I think uh this was a great scene. There's this line from him that he says it's very John Connington. Yes. Right? I think we I yelled reached, that. <laughs> yeah, we were both like John Con Ryan Condal, we love you. I reached too far and for nothing. Our pursuit of the Iron Throne is at an end. We shall declare for no one. We will retire to high tide to be content with our grandchildren and but it's too late for that, Rainey says. To save their family, they betrothed the granddaughters to Rhaenyra's children. The safety of those boys is at risk while Aegon's king, or while they're alive. <laughs> Actually, though, I will say, I expect Jace might, like, if Rhaena does go to the Vale, it might be for Rhaena's safety, right? For A, for putting a dragon rider there for Jane, as she'll request, and B, for Rhaena's sake. You know, maybe he worries, what if something happens to Reyna now that Luke has been killed? What if she's next? What if Aemon mm. comes after her? Uh, especially for yeah. their role in Vagar, too, as children. You know, that oh, might yeah. be a suspicion they, beating, they get. Beating the up. Shit out of Aemon. Yeah. They, were, they were there, you know, all wailing on him. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Corlys doesn't quite like Rhaenyra. He's like, everything she touches is gone and ruined and destroyed. 
and he blames her for their son's death, which, okay, understandable. understandable. But Rainey's defends her. She says, Rhaenyra's the only person stopping the realm from going full nuclear right now in Dragonstone. Yeah, I do think it points to when she refused to run away with Kristen Cole, right? That that was serious. She was taking her responsibility, her duty, and the prophecy seriously. I came to the throne. And then also, I like that when they're transitioning there to that moment with that voiceover, they have Rhaenyra sitting. And I think on one hand, it's showing that she's obviously recovering from this miscarriage. But also, on the other hand, it's, I think, a status symbol that she's sitting and the others cannot, right? Yeah, she's the queen. She is the queen. Corlys descends after this scene with Rhaenys, and the Lord of the Tides turns the tides and joins the War Council, swearing full allegiance to Rhaenyra's cause. Rhaenyra is so grateful. You can see that Rhaenys has also given her acceptance. They enter as a team once more, her, Corlys, and the girls. But, as I said to my bannerman, I made a promise to my father to hold the realm strong and united. If war's first stroke is to fall, it will not be my hand. It will not be by my hand, Rhaenyra says. Whoop, by my hand? Like, the hand of the king, maybe? I don't know. She makes it a point that unlike, as we were saying earlier, Damon and Otto, they're threatening people for their allegiance, right, and their vows. Rhaenyra is just reminding people of it, right, as she points out to Corlys that that's how she's ruling right now. She's not taking people hostage and forcing them at whatever. She's just, like, really hoping, and Corlys is like, that's kind of dumb, but that's admirable. Corlys tells them that this war... Corlys tells him that his war in games that almost led to him dying has now yielded fruit that now they hold the stepstones and he has left troops there, which is what Rainier said they should have done in the first place. It also gives them access to the gullet to begin restricting the shipping lanes, which Otto did not give a fuck about in the beginning of the season because he's a big dum-dum and we hate him. George... R. Martin is very clear that he's very interested in a lot of the other aspects of war, like a lot of these other socioeconomic parts of it, both in The Song of Ice and Fire and in Fire and Blood, right? Um, here, we're kind of looking at those economic ways it can be fought and its impact, which is something that George did write into this. So I appreciate that this is being addressed in the show, that they are looking at that, because I think that's a huge strength of Martin's writing. I really just appreciate it was brought back and that it meant something, right? Because yeah. Corlys's, like, literal first line is that he walks into the council and is like, why don't you care about my ships? You know that's yes. what he cares about. He's very, very much so cares about his ships, about his family's money and how it's being spent and how it's being used and how his people and his soldiers are being treated. Uh, and maximizing that labor and maximizing those resources. So it's actually really true to his character throughout all of it. Rainey's plans to patrol the gullet herself. And if they can dry out King's Landing, they can press inward and take it themselves. But to do so, they have to secure the Eerie, Storm's End, and Winterfell's support. Jace volunteers that he and his brother Luke should take the messages on Dragonback. I thought that was very astute of him to volunteer as he does in the book to do so, especially though because he just went and watched Damon display his power with Caraxes. So he straight up says it would be convincing if we went on our dragons. Uh, and mm -hmm. you can see when Luke goes, Luke is very unsure. He doesn't have that confidence. He doesn't quite understand how to leverage and harness that power yet, uh, let alone having some issues. Yeah, he's 14, let alone the connection with his dragon not being quite True. as strong as Damon's sociopath Targaryen's connection. 
He's out there like, Caraxes will eat all of you if I move my eyebrow too hard. He's always had a weaker one, too, as we've been shown. Yeah, there's something notable here, again, hearkening back to the beginning, that Rhaenyra, just like her father, has found the best way to have Daemon at a council, and to keep him out of trouble, is to give him jobs, to give him tasks. He is out of sight, out of mind. Corley's comments, he says, where's Damon? She actually pretty much says what her father said in the beginning, that he's focusing on other activities. He's doing other things. He's on a side quest in order to keep him out of my fucking business. It's kind of funny when you put it that way, because when she was younger, right, she didn't quite understand because she wasn't there during the times that they were dealing with Damon. He was more or less gone mm-hmm. from the small council by the time that uh, she was really taking a more active role in it. When she says, he never told you, you can see in her eyes that she's like, oh, this all makes sense about you and who you are now. Yeah, she's like, I understand now why my dad dealt with you the way that he did. I thought yep. you were just like, smarmy dude. She's starting to see that he, I mean, some of the things that he does, as we've discussed earlier on in the episode, earlier on in the season, right? They are, some of them are good ideas. Sometimes you do need to balance the soft power with the hard power, and Damon shows a great understanding for that, right? And if they had worked together, they could maybe balance it out, but it's the different dynamic with Rhaenyra, who is his niece and a woman. So, like, there's kind of, like, I think there's um something going on there. But also, it is a pretty big task, right? He's, it's one that he's really wanted to take on because the Riverlands are indeed crucial. And we'll see that that turns out to be very fruitful and fire and blood. They actually talk about that portion before they get to Storm's End and what Damon does. He does take Karen Hall first because, as we know, Larry's is in King's Landing and then, you know, wrinkles the Riverlands. It's a pretty big deal. But um, I think Jake and Luke didn't just learn from uh, Damon's example, right? That's part of it. But as we've been saying, a lot of this is also reminiscent of earlier episodes, such as episode two, when Damon and Otto clash again, on that path at Dragonstone. Rhaenyra earlier on in this episode said she was trying to raise her children and mentor them as Viserys did for her as a father and king. But Viserys did cling a little bit too tight, right? Like Rhaenyra in episode two offers to retrieve the dragon egg herself. Viserys refuses her and she disobeys him because Viserys doesn't always acknowledge her suggestions, even though sometimes they would be good ones. For example, the substance. Anyways, And that would require her being out there, right? And taking an active role, giving her agency as a a political figure, but also as a dragon rider, right? It would put her in a bit of danger, but she was refused that by Viserys. She herself volunteered in that council. And when Jake and Luke do the same thing, I think Rhaenyra recognizes that. She recognizes the importance of letting her children learn by doing in a way that her father didn't let her do. But unfortunately, things are bad luck. It storms end, right? Like she she gives this to Luke because it is supposed to be the safe bet due to blood and geographic proximity. It doesn't end up that way, but it was in fact a calculated and, and like on paper, it's a safe option of letting your children step out a little bit more and learn to do things. And, and I think she is trying to do the things she feels her father failed to do as a parent and mentor them while still mm-hmm. keeping that peace that he did value when he was a ruler. Sending them individually is an impressive feat. I mean, it does show yeah. that you're not above just coming yourself. You don't need an army of men to accompany you to show up at Storm's End or to show up at Winterfell. Great point. But it is interesting because Boros is said to be so rash uh, and she knows that he's prickly and proud. She does say so soon, right? She kind of charges them with each of theirs. And it's interesting because it makes you think maybe Jace should have gone to Storm's End. Maybe Jace should have gone to Storm's End because Luke was not ready. Absolutely yeah. was not ready. He is uncertain when he gets there. He is 
shuffling kind of. I mean, how would you hold yourself in confidence when you get there and you're like, oh shit, my fucking 80 foot tall, 45 year old teenage uncle is here with his Vagar with Godzilla. Yeah. I'm like, both of them are like 800 feet tall. Holy shit. Aemon and Godzilla. I mean, Vagar. He's tall. Yeah, he's big. I can't get over it. I'm like, damn, that boy hit puberty in that time skip. But yeah, how are you supposed to? I mean, that's not an easy thing, especially like she said, our dragons have never seen war, Damon. Jace gets charged to go to the Eyrie, to Lady Jane, and then he gets double duty to go to Cregan Stark of Winterfell. I don't know about that one. I liked Cregan, but I guess. I like Cregan. Cregan I bet is. some other people will say Cregan. We'll see how it goes. You know, we get both. Yeah. Different ways. yeah, we can get both. Luke is going to Luke is going to head to Storm's End. She makes them swear that they go as messengers, not warriors, on the seven-pointed star, which happens in Fire and Blood. And she tells Jace that Cregan is near his age. She hopes they find common interest. And Luke, she says, Boros is a proud man and would be honored to host a prince and his dragon. Maybe not two princes and two dragons, but one prince and one dragon, she says. Uh, she also tells him he has Baratheon blood. Hmm. All right, Rhaenyra. All right. I mean, honestly, I guess I understand why Melee's is holding the gullet, right? Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that Jace goes on the like longer journey. I guess Rainey's would have also been another good, safer bet to send to Storm's End. That's what I was thinking. Damon is singing in Valyrian to Vermithor, which I loved this scene. I actually really did love it. Uh, it was n- I-, I love hearing Matt Smith sing. That was beautiful. Yeah, he's Matt. good. He's good. Yeah, he's got a he's got a great voice. Yeah. Does he sing? At- He's actually really, of course he is. Fucker. He's good at like everything. Does he sing in any of like the Doctor Who episodes? No. You, have you heard that um, side of him before? Well, he might hum a, a little a little ditty, but not really. He does have some very soft side to him here and there. Mm. Uh, mm. To give you some context, like the TARDIS, the way that Damon is about Caraxes and dragon eggs and like the uwu that he like goes into the dragon mont and he's like i'm gonna find dragon eggs today and how he's handling vermithor that's very doctor who uh matt smith's mm. doctor is very in love with the tardis and you know he's uh i mean all of them love their tardis let's be real but he's in oh, love okay interesting with his i didn't know that well you should hmm. watch doctor who as i tell you every week so oh you'd like that wouldn't you <laughs> i you know, historically, I'm going to go ahead and say that, yes, I would like that. That's you're yeah. doing great. So I looked up to see if David Peterson had posted up the lyrics for this, because I was really I was like, what is this about? What is this about this Valyrian song? So he created this with Ty Mikkel. And it is called Haros Bartasi. And in hmm. translation, it's called With Three Heads. And there's something about this that made me kind of think of Viserys, Damon, and Rhaenyra as their own little three-headed monster together, right? They were the three mm-hmm. heads at one point. Rhaenyra was training to be heir and training to be kind of the diplomacy. Viserys was the head that held it together as the king, and Damon found himself fitting in almost as the Visenya, right? Mm-hmm. Rhaenyra as the Rhaenys, and Damon as the Visenya, as we referenced in the start of the story. So the lyrics translate roughly to... Fire breather, winged leader, but two heads to a third sing. From my voice, the fires have spoken and the price has been paid with blood magic. With words Mm. of flame, with clear eyes, to bind the three to you I sing. 
as one we gather and with three heads, we shall fly as we were destined beautifully freely. Interesting that he's singing about the three heads of the dragon to Vermithor, likely to lull Vermithor out of the cavern and see if maybe Vermithor will be pliable to being tamed or to being ridden, I would guess. Yeah, kind of reminding him of all that. And I don't know, also even speaking of other rulers who were three heads. I mean, obviously, right? Obviously, like the Conqueror, whatever. But also Jaharis and Alisand and Septon Barth also mm-hmm. acting as three. Maybe reminding, hey, Vermithor, remember like... Remember your other writer? And it's a it's a very interesting song, because speaking of Songs of Ice and Fire, there's a lot there that speaks to, is this something else, right? Like, why does there have to be three? Three is obviously, as we all know, a very important number when it comes to, like, A, religion, and B, magic, and, and tales in general. But then they talk about the blood magic and binding three. Very interesting. Um, also, set, it's important for Seto Kaiba. I mean, Danny, three fires you'll light. Yeah, yeah. Child of three, right? That's yep. part of it, too. Child of three. We talked a lot about this back when we had Joe Magician on in our John episodes, actually. Uh, we talked about that idea of, like, the three and the three different betrayals that Danny will have. And John, you know, he himself kind of has a few different betrayals that happen. And they all kind of align. Amon has it, too. Amon. Oh, my God. Aemon has it too. Uh, so three is a huge number for Targs, not just in the heads of the dragon and in their sigil. Yeah. It's interesting that we finally get a song in High Valyrian. There are a couple times in the books that we hear of a song. There's uh, the Iron Suitor. I want to say hmm. they have the Valyrian song and the monkey jumps off the boat and kills itself. Oh my that. god, what the fuck? Yeah. It's like a chilling, very high wailing song. And then Tyrion ate in a storm of swords. A haunting ballad of two dying lovers amidst the doom of Valyria might have pleased the hall more if Colio had not sung it in High Valyrian, which most of the guests could not speak. Probably would have been more uh, more popular in the Free Cities. Wrong Probably. audience. But glad that man's uh, multilingual. People just don't like culture these days. <laughs> the monkey understood. Why can't they? Yeah, the monkey was like, this is terrible. Or was the monkey like, this was horribly sung? <laughs> so then we have, there we go, Luke at Storm's End. Uh, the no. guards, I, I, I thought it was kind of fun when he shows up and the guards are like, what's going on? But, you know, they can't really doubt who he is, I guess, when he claims to be the prince because he also parked his dragon in front of there. And then he also just leaves Erex right there out in front, which I'm like, would I be annoyed if I were dragon? But Vagar doesn't really seem to mind. I'm also imagining, like, how would a dragon valet service, like, function? I guess it doesn't really work. You just have to, you know. Not without the tamers. That's I true. Who apparently are fight. They're trained to fight. We learned. Yeah, Damon plans to conscript them, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. There is, there's this moment when he lands where the guards are confused. When they see him show up, they all kind of look at each yeah, other like, true. uh-oh, another dragon. I really loved that. I loved a lot of the little motions and context that were happening in this scene between guards and people. It was so exciting when he finally got in. I mean, first of all, Storm's End is gorgeous. What a gorgeous look at it. And when you step inside of that beautiful dome, we got Baratheons. We had all four of the Baratheon siblings. We don't know which is which. Aemon's betrothed, though, is wearing Baratheon black and gold. Loved that. It was so exciting to see a dark, brunette-haired Baratheon wearing black and gold. Is that why they did it? Because they didn't want to confuse us with the Baratheons and Aegon's colors? I wonder, now that you say that and remind us. I don't know. 
It was kind of hilarious when he enters the hall. I'm like, what, as an awkward gathering, everyone's just kind of formally standing around the edges of the, the room. And then they're like, oh, someone's entered. Regarding the design of Storm's End, yes, it is gorgeous. So excited. We were all so excited to finally see it. It's not the way I imagined it, but not in a bad way, right? Like, they've got this, like, huge tower kind of jutting out. And it really does feel like a defiance of the gods, right? A, a defiance of, like, the storm god, etc. Because you would think that wouldn't be very structurally sound somewhere that there's, like, so many hurricanes. But... It's fun, right? They they said they designed it to be something. It doesn't really have any counterparts not in Westeros' world, nor in our own real world, right? So they have to really pull from their imaginations to create something that would hopefully function. Yeah, I don't... I'm not perfect at visualizing things from the book. Like, there are a lot of places that I don't actually have a picture for in my head. Hmm. So when I thought Storm's End, I did just think of, like, a drum-shaped tower. I didn't know what to think exactly. I let the, the better artists articulate that for me and give me the creative vision but i found that to be very beautiful yeah it was an interesting choice i guess i kind of imagine it heron hallish you know mm -hmm. or coliseum-esque you know very flat and round because of the storms uh yeah yeah yeah. i like that when you got sword in on the dragon you could actually see where everyone else lives like outside of the tower you could see that there's mm. little domes all populating along the gates and you can see that storms end becomes an actual place not just a big castle on a hill, you can see how others live there, which is cool. You don't always get to see that with these castles of where other people live, not just the, the seven Baratheons. It's harder to be a voyeur without a dragon, you know? Yeah. The Baratheon sisters don't get any lines, which is a bummer to me. I would have loved Aemon being egged on by Floris like in the book, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess they don't really keep that. That could have been made up, I guess. And it, it wouldn't match his character. I mean, it could match his character, actually. He does seem... He's very prideful, right? Yes. Kind of like his uncle. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, Lucerys is... When he, like, you know, runs away after the whole thing where uh, there starts to be a little, little tiff, kind of just like the last time we were here in Storm's End. Also, like the last time in Storm's End, uh, we have Lucerys fleeing trying to be set up with suitors just as Rhaenyra did so a lot of parallels there between mm -hmm. that episode and then Aemon keeps trying to remind first of all awesome awesome we got his sapphire eye which everyone really amazing. wanted amazing yeah they executed it pretty well it's very it lit so moving. creepy just like the painted yeah. table. It didn't uh it didn't look fake though. You know what I well I mean it was fake, but like it didn't Obviously look it's fake. Yeah, fake. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean I thought it was real. Uh oh it gosh. didn't look fake though. It, it it fit in well. It didn't look chintzy, you know, like it didn't look too I don't know, too CGI or uncanny. It looked like it could be a part of him because I was wondering how bright it would look and it actually blended really well with his scar and with his person yeah i think it went well but it kind of would have been interesting if they had gone for the the, the sapphire eye that they have it's kind of like cut you know and i don't know some sort of way right like the flat surfaces but there is a way of cutting sapphire slash a specific kind of sapphire that is called a star sapphire that is very perfectly mm. like cut much more round and i'll send a picture to you chloe but like it looks Thank like you. a little star um is inside the stone especially with the way that the light hits it etc that could have been a fun choice but i am really happy with it i'm just happy that they did it you know like that's talk about camp having a starry like gem or like sapphire in your eye 
Oh, and it is important. Yeah, that's cool. Right, it would have been very cool, a star sapphire. Aemond is very, very keen on reminding Lucerius that he owes a debt. He's like, you owe a debt! You know what? The cost of that debt goes even higher at the end of this episode. We got new debts now. No relief. So I didn't like at first how this next bit started and went. I wasn't sure how to feel about it in the moment. But on rewatch mm-hmm. of this entire scene, I think it flows so well and it's written really well. Because as they go out and as he chases him out and gets out on Vagar and we get that, oh my god, that crazy shot of the shadow of Vagar over top. Oh my Eric's god, yeah. Is, it's really good. They did it. When they did that, I was like, congratulations, you guys did this because they fulfilled the scene. They killed it. But. And Luke. They also killed Luke. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, <laughs> really like the flow of the dragons losing control because the moment that Luke says to Eric's, Eric's, you know, shoots a flame at Vagar as they're fighting and mm-hmm. chasing through the sky. And Eric's turns and shoots flame. And immediately Luke goes, no, no, Eric's in Valyrian. And Aemond hears him say no, and he realizes it was a mistake. And he feels Vagar jerk in his own hands and start to go after Eric's. And that's when Aemond immediately says no. And he's like, no, 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 Vagar. So you can see that both of these boys are immediately regretting that they can't control their fucking dragons. And also you can see that he panics because we, we called this out when we were watching. We're like... I knew that boy was the only one in his family from his siblings to learn High Valyrian, right? So Aemon is speaking Valyrian, High Valyrian quite well. He's speaking in full sentences versus like the the jerky commands that uh, Luke seems to be giving. I did not look or learn any Mm -hmm. High Valyrian. This is my assumption. But he panics and when he's yelling no to Vagar, it's in common tongue, aka English. He's not doing Mm -hmm. it in Valyrian. Right. Yeah, he's freaking out. He's panicking. Because he's losing he's losing control of this giant truck in the middle of a storm, which again, driving in yeah. storms is scary. He's hydroplaning right now. And <laughs> or just Fuck. on a plane. I don't know. That is a semi of a dragon. <laughs> but it does like I know some people are like, well, we see other people, they have a really close connection with the dragons. They're reacting to their emotions, like we see with Caraxes and Cyrax earlier in this episode, but I I think this is consistent with what we see, right? And mm-hmm. how dragons are so in tune with someone's emotions and can fail to heed like conscious commands that both yeah. Aemond and Lucerys give. Uh, for example, Aria and Balerion, right? I know that our friend Ara asked the question, like, do you consider Aria to be one of Balerion's riders, like formally? Ara does, and a couple of other people do, because I mean, she had to have been able to ride Balerion to some extent. To get Balerion all the way fucking back to King's Landing. Like, that counts. Mm-hmm. And also, it's something that Ryan Condal actually cites in his interview on the official po- podcast. You know, he does talk about that moment. He doesn't use, like, the exact name of Area, but he is talking about that moment. I don't know if, like, he's refusing the name because he thinks it'll be adapted one day. I don't know. I'm just being hopeful. But he Stop does talk about me. Balerion, yeah, and, and those riders and being uncontrollable. And it's not just with dragons, right? When we talk about magic, we saw in that one brand chapter, Grey Wind, Summer, and Shaggy Dog are attacking Tyrion, basically, when Tyrion is at Winterfell. And even though we know they have very close connections with their direwolves, they're reacting to the emotions and the fear and the anxiety in that moment. And even Rob is like, oh my god, I don't even know what that was. I'm so sorry. And it, it's also even reminiscent of speaking of family members, and what you do and you don't intend. Something of very hot debate. 
the shadow baby that is set on oh. Renly, right? Yeah. Stannis being like, I didn't actually want to be responsible for killing my brother of kinslaying, right? But like, were was that in Stannis's subconscious? Because he's the one dreaming that he's the shadow that kills Renly, right? So that that sort of desire, but lack of it, and then also, of course. Danny's dragons. We see that throughout her entire plot of being able to control them. Absolutely. Like Drogon eats the shepherd's daughter and Danny's like, wow, I definitely didn't want that. And her wondering, how do I heal? Like call my dragons to heal. Right. Like, and Drogon being like, Daenerys, let's go on an adventure out into the Dothraki sea. And she's like, what the fuck? We need to go back. And we have in Danny 10, when she laid the whip across Drogon's right side, he veered right for a dragon's first instinct is always to attack. Sometimes it does not matter. Sometimes it did not seem to matter where she struck him, though. Sometimes he went where he would and took her with him. Neither whip nor words could turn Drogon if he did not wish to be turned. And then also we see, you know, Quentin finding out the hard way, like, mm, dragon's going to do what they want. A dragon's not a slave. Even from the very first scene mm -hmm. we get in the entire show, Cyrax is being chained and put back away into the caverns. But yeah. a dragon is no slave. Yeah. Even to your emotions they're in tune with it and they're a way of kind of manifesting your desires and unfortunately sometimes we don't always like desire good things don't we don't want our desires to be careful what you wish for yes and we see that imaging throughout the entire episode between damon and caraxes being cool and collected with one another and feeling powerful and mm -hmm. in control rhaenyra in pain in her labor shot shots between yeah. her and Cyrax screaming uh and then Eric's and Vagar and Vagar making a big ol' Eric's Luke sandwich and then deciding that she doesn't like the taste and dropping it. She's like, oh, that's not very digestible. That was rough uh, to watch. Yeah, that was really hard to watch that dragon ripped in half. That was damn. And dragons don't like sushi, you know? They like to cook their meat before they eat it. Yep. She, and she couldn't light them up in the rain easily, so she just let them go. Yeah. I could she never just let the little parts go down, fall to the ground, and Eamon going, I made a huge mistake. Yeah. And I have to say, I love that he was just a super villain, like an anime super villain in the sky, just cackling. He was just like villain laughing yeah. through the clouds. But I do now like kind of that concept too of like, words are arrows, Ariane, right? Once mm. loosed, they do not return. And Eamon yeah. is out here, he's like, come here nephew i'm gonna cut your eye out just like you did mine come on buddy uh and it's also kind of like you're still playing a game amen because you're on your giant fucking old flying nuke you're in the sky chasing your nephew to get his eye what did you think was going to happen what did you really think i mean dragons don't plant trees especially not at fucking an altitude of that high motherfucker <laughs> holy they shit like what do you think down, she was gonna yeah. do yeah she was going to yeah. eat him. Come on, Amy. Especially if she didn't know, you know, she's been trained as a machine of war in many ways, you know? <laughs> I, I like that you called out, like, that he's treating it still like a game because Otto thinks he has to remind Allison, like, this isn't a game. Yeah. You know, like, and I mean, that's the whole thing. You know, in the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground, Amid. <laughs> They're not even on the ground. There is no middle sky. This is going to be huge. I mean, this is... This is exactly what Rhaenyra, Rhaenys, everybody talked about this episode about not wanting to cast the first stone. I don't. Neither the person did who, 
Which yeah. is silly because it's like, obviously, that gives them a moral insurance and high ground to the people, right? Like, the important part is that they do not want the people to foresee them as the first ones to have started this war. Aemond made a huge mistake, as we see on his face. He knows yeah. he made a huge mistake because now he has to go home and interface with his mama and say, Mama, I have made a terrible decision on accident without actually deciding it. Ish. Yeah. Oops. It is an accident, but it's also, like, his fault. Just like, you know, if you're speeding in a storm with a semi, just come back to driving again. <laughs> Play stupid dragon games, win stupid dragon prizes. Mm-hmm. Or not win? Die? No middle ground? Uh, I will say, I do wish they had, uh, I don't know how they could have exercised that more. Maybe just had Aemond lean all in on it. But I do like the the uncertainty of it, and I can't wait to see how he brings that home and how that's taken in King's Landing. Yeah, and it is like fuck around and find out. And I also am like, Luke's fourteen; he's an mm -hmm. idiot, yeah. right? Amon's not that much older than him. We saw we saw baby Amon not being of like that different of an age from Luke and and Jaceres, right? And you know what? Teenagers are fucking stupid and do dumb things with cars, like when. Mm -hmm. You know, my partner's cousin was like, you know what? Let's put a pool in the back of a pickup uh -uh. truck. No. And as they were making a turn, turns out, you know, the car might turn, but the water keeps going in one direction. And then next thing you know, he's flying out of the car and his leg's not at the correct angle. <sighs> That's like this, but everyone survived, thankfully. Thank God no dragon came down to chomp him in two. Yeah. Well, oh. then we get to that scene. The final. This is it. This is the last scene of the show, and it's wordless. It is Rhaenyra at the fire, and Damon. Damon, who the entire episode has undermined her, and kind of been a shit-ass to her, in his grieving, in his way of grieving, and his emotional issues, the way he was working through them, his abusive tendencies. Rhaenyra is at the fire, just watching, and Damon has to be the one to come and tell her that Luke has been Eated and yeeted by Vagar. <laughs> Christ. I'm guessing that Arax washes up at Storm's End and maybe Boros has to tell them. I'm not sure who would have told them, but I'm sure they get word somehow. Realistically, I would not want to be the one to tell her that my entire keep is responsible for somewhat of the death of her child. Or, hey, your kid left and drunk drove in the sky after partying at my house is really what it comes to. He didn't drunk drive. He wasn't drinking. He didn't have time for a drink. It was a very short stay at Storm's End. He was attacked. Saying, <laughs> so it turns out I kind of let Eamon chase after him. Sorry. Uh, we see later in the story that doesn't go well for people who suddenly tell them <laughs> when that happens and their entire town gets vengeance taken down upon them and murdered. Uh, yeah. Right now, Rhaenyra is a much more benevolent queen than she will be in the future seasons. Benefit of the doubt is now out the window. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's and war. It's a powerful scene, right? Like, they talk about, you know, in the interviews, Emma Darcy's talking about, you know, you think you know grief once you've lost, you know, your father or, or um, I forgot, like, another family member, right? Or your lover, right? But now em uh, Rhaenyra's experiencing it, the death of a child. And as we know, like, that's, I think, a big thing in the series. It's something George is interested in the, in in exploring with how that affects Rhaenyra. We see how it affects Catelyn over and over that grief, right? And we see it 
uh, with Alisan, right? How that eats away at her. And I do think like, I w I'm excited to see how this goes next season, right? Because her reaction upon Luke's death is like, no holding back we're going to war like that's obvious from the acting mm -hmm. you don't need you don't need the words you know what it means as she turns around and looks at the table and the camera that in contrast to how Rainey's and Corley's right they react to the deaths of Lena and Lenor obviously Lena died in childbirth and and chose that herself but they're talking about you know they have long suspected Rhaenyra of killing their son and yet they didn't go to war for it, right? Like, so it'll be interesting to see how they react to Rhaenyra's decision when they had been so restrained. So that was, I mean, the floodgates are open. Mm -hmm. It is kind of a slow show and tell for her that, you know, at the front of the episode, she's like, I don't think that this is real. I don't think, I don't know if she necessarily would do that. Let's just figure it out. We can figure it out. And now she's like, oh, Shit, Damon was right about one thing. Those bitches stole my crown, and they killed my kid. Yeah. Oh, and then we'll get blood and cheese. Yeah. I really look forward to seeing how that plays out. I, uh, I think there were a lot of really strong parts of the season, and a lot of great build-up for season two. There are definitely a couple weak parts. Episode 9 yeah. stands out to me as one of the weaker episodes. However, paired with this episode, episode 9 is great. Like, if you watch these yeah. two in succession, in succession, haha, uh, huh. if you put them aside we got a trailer. one another, we did get a trailer, that was the other best part of last night. If you put these <laughs> next to one another, though, I, I think they make a really compelling story that tells a lot about the other, and I definitely think that the Black Queen standalone is very strong. I think the Green Council yeah. mixed with the Black Queen is stronger for the Green Council, but not for the Black Queen, if that makes I sense. I agree. I agree. The Black Queen can stand on its own. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I just don't think the episode nine work. Yeah. And she's going to have to. That's part of her storyline. <laughs> uh, Rip. Eliana, if you had to pick one favorite thing from the entire series, whether it's a sentiment. Oh, the entire, the entire season one. God, I don't know if I could. Uh, maybe, maybe... Rhaenyra Allison's standoff with the knife. Ooh. That I think that one's really strong for me. The 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 swearing scene for Rhaenyra. Powerful. But also, yeah, that one's good. And also, I mean how that parallels, right? The end of this episode. Uh, brilliant. Like both of those together. They do a great job of making it a very cohesive season. Um, this is recency bias. The petty throwing of the the pin. <laughs> How about you? What do you, what about you? What would you pick? I love the weirwood shots. Did you expect this to be thrown back? Oh. Yeah, I, I had a feeling you might do this to me. Yeah, so I had to... I was thinking while you talked. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I like the weirwood scenes. Uh, obviously, the addition of Allison and Rhaenyra's friendship and built up in this manner really helped the tensions. Mm, of course. Helped a lot of this kind of drive home for the finale. Uh, I love the dinner scene. And Jace and Helena dancing and the song being played while they dance. Aww. And uh, that, that beautiful <sighs> round shot where Viserys is watching everything that he fucked up at. But at the same time, everything he did build, like he did <laughs> obviously kind of fuck it up with his stagnation. Ah, stagnation. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, like it was beautiful and it was bittersweet. And it was this moment that he was like, maybe they will be fine without me. 
maybe they will be able to go on. And of course it didn't, it devolved it, but it was just a perfect scene. It was a very well done scene, <laughs> the song especially. And probably, yeah, ooh, it's probably a toss up between her coronation, honestly, was amazing. But also, um, like this coronation yeah, this in this coronation. episode? Or? Yeah. Okay. Her coronation in this episode out at the pyre and what it means for, you know, death to pay for life or death to give that life to the rebellion. But then also the scene where she's begging him to come to court and help her when she's in his room in episode eight. Eight? Yeah. In episode eight, when she's in his room and she says that the weight is too, oh, yeah. too much to bear. If you love me and you love my children, then I need you. I need you. And I thought that was really just beautiful. I think Emma D'Arcy did such a crazy, amazing job with the age up on Rhaenyra and that time jump and being able to yeah. bring some of that same emotion, but at the same time as that same emotion, being able to also subdue it in a way, like to, to show a changed Rhaenyra, not just the, yeah. the plucky Rhaenyra yeah. we met in the beginning of the season. I thought that was great. And obviously anything to do with Olivia Cook or Emily Carey are big standouts to those four. I mean- the main four are, God, stand out. They did a great job. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like a lot of your favorite moments are in episode eight. And I do think, I think, yeah, that's probably the strongest episode, right, of the season. I will say, like, you know, when it comes to Game of Thrones seasons, episode nines are, like, notorious. But the, every now and then, they did the big moments in episode eight, or, like, the, it would be an eight and nine. Like, for mm -hmm. example, the, the, the set, right, exploding, right? Wasn't that an eight? Or maybe it was, um, I don't know, one of the battles, something like every now and then it's in episode eight. The Sept was I 10. I do think that was, uh oh, oh, never mind, not the Sept. It's one of the battles, like a couple of them every now and then Castle they Black. do the big moments. Hard Home, I think, Hard Home was an eight. Hard Home was an eight. Was an episode um, eight. I want to say, wasn't Watchers on the Wall in episode eight? Maybe that was a nine. Either way. I think that was a nine. But, but I mean, yeah, sometimes it's the show can't follow that same pattern because next season, there's no way for it to be a pure yeah. episode nine. There's so many things that have to happen throughout the season to keep the show and the plot moving that are big fucking things. Jace's death and the gullet getting the kids swept away towards the end of the season. Absolutely. That's huge. Rainey's death will have to come an episode before that or so in order for the impact to mean something to us. Uh, there's so much blood and cheese. Blood and cheese. It's gonna be straight bangers. It's uh, while season seven of Game of Thrones didn't have a lot of substance, it's gonna be the same amount of like killer moments. I think as season seven, literally killer, literally killer. Yeah, and but it, hopefully with filler. I agree with you. It can't. It can't be the exact same. It cannot be the exact same formula. Um, a because of the moments that happened, but B, I think it's strong that it wasn't right, and that rather than it being like a flashy net execution or like big battle mm -hmm. whatever is um even though we have those moments in this that the the core moment that like i think defines things as you're saying like a lot of your moments are in episode eight that it's episode eight and that it was a huge emotional rather than like spectacle it was actually not rain rainies coming out of the dragon pits floor that wasn't it it was viserys's death and you know God, that was, yeah, it was very emotional. And I think it was a culmination of the hard work they did in the prior episodes. I think a lot of people acted yeah, great point. as if they were maybe bored in the first few episodes and the pacing was too slow. And I think a lot of people had issues with the time jump and the pacing, but I really felt comfortable with it. Uh, I was able to fill in some of the blanks. And there are some things I mourned for. I mourned for more Lane of Valarian, 
or Harwin Strong and Rhaenyra's relationship that was kind of off screen. The wedding scene. Yeah, I, I mourned for a couple of those things, but I got over them very easily. And I do think that it was fulfilling otherwise. And I think the the slow burn at the front of the season did great payoff. Slow burn? Yeah. Yeah, though. Slow burn. Oh, God. Fire well, I'm blood. just... <laughs> I agree. I agree. Like, it, episode eight wouldn't have hit the way it did if they hadn't, I think, as you said, set all those up well emotionally. Yeah. So I, I, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy about the season. I had I'm a happy. Blast. There's things, obviously, yeah. I could be happier, but like, I'm still really happy, you know? Yeah. So a huge thank you to, and God, the whole production cast and crew, everything they did for this. It was a beautiful show. It was 10 sad, emotional, funny, uh, horrific weeks. And while I'm very excited to get my life back a little bit, because it, you know, Sunday nights and Sundays, they became religious holy days. Uh, it will look back on yeah, season one dinner. fondly. Yeah, I enjoyed family dinner. That was my other favorite part, but I didn't really want to open with it, lead with it. My favorite part was enjoying it Aww. with you. And not just you, but everyone listening. You know, every week it's been great to rehash our thoughts. Sometimes it's been immediately and we haven't been able to get all of our thoughts out, but there are so many other great podcasts yeah, and agree. people writing blogs and reviews that I know there's no need for us to cover at all. You wonderful people have that. So thank you to yeah. you guys. You you all listening right now, too. You're one of my favorite parts, too, because I know you have some wild takes, whether you're tweeting at us or you're on our Discord. We've gotten to read some really insightful thoughts and insightful interpretations of the show. Mm -hmm. It's just also fun to have something, you know, there again for all of us and also yeah. strong memes this season. But as you said, you know, thank you to everyone who's who've been on this 10-week journey with us. Well, there's still a journey you can take with us, but if, if you're more interested in this dragon dance, you know, see you again in 2024. Yeah, otherwise, come... But it'd be great if you stuck around. Yeah, come hang out. Come chat Bran with us while we're on our journey with Bran, the hero's journey with Bran at our normal A Song of Ice and Fire yeah. reread podcast. Not so normal, though, because we read POV by POV. And... There are a couple other places you can chat with us if you're going to miss us for the next couple of years. If you have any thoughts, I don't know. Maybe we'll do a retrospective, but I don't know if we will or not. Please don't Never hold know. us to that. But if you want to keep up with, like, if that happens, you can always find us on twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon. That's C-A-N-O-N. Or you can shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. I almost forgot how email addresses worked there for oh, a second. Oh, you give me so much shit I legitimately this. did. And if you haven't already, please like, subscribe, review at a podcast platform near you. Throw us some stars. Throw us some words. We are on all of them. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, iHeartRadio, Audible, Amazon Podcasts, and more. And of course, you can always find us on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where... Patrons in the $5 tier and above get access to bonus episodes. Uh, and this month's is the Kingsguard. And if you want to hear us talk about the dance even more, we do have a series of like five to six episodes, four to five episodes, four to six episodes about the dance uh, based on what we got in Fire and Blood. Yeah, we cover everything dance, and we also cover the life under the Regency of Aegon Three, everything at the very end of the story as well. And we have a couple episodes like House Valarian, or 
Mothers slash MILFs yeah. of the Dragon Part 1 and 2 with further parts coming to you eventually. We also have a series on the Free Cities and we are working our way through that slowly mm-hmm. but surely as well as Traveling. a new yep. series. We're starting this month at our Patreon on the Kingsguard. We're going to be talking about the Kingsguard briefly this month and hopefully next month we're going to talk about a little different, the Queensguard. So a little relevant. The a Queensguard. Little relevant. Yeah. And that's not all. We also have monthly events. We have a brunch slash happy hour that happens every month on either a Saturday or Sunday. We did just have our last one on October 23rd. We will have one in November. So stay tuned for your Harvest Feast brunch information for Discord members in the Thunder tier and above, 10 bucks up. And uh, we have been doing these great weekly discussions. Our friend Maddie's been hosting them at our Discord. We've had such a blast with them. A huge thank you to Maddie for keeping these going. Uh, the only green supporter I would trust, really, is Maddie. I'm going to be really honest. Did I just out her as a green supporter? Yeah. I'm so sorry. The only impartial person. I would ever, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But Maddie, no, Maddie, seriously, a huge thank you from the bottom of our hearts from both of us because it has just been a great thing every Friday, 2 p.m. to have this discussion going with our patrons on the episode this week and next week. A little bit of fun, a little memeing, a little arguing. It goes great. And that's over at our Discord for Thunder Tier patrons. Yes. Again, thank you, everyone, for your help, (laughs) uh, you know, in terms of the community that we have and also just again joining us on this journey listening and watching this series with us all over again you know i have been one of your hosts eliana and i've been another one of your hosts chloe you know maybe the hot d was just the friends you made along the way maybe it was just a hot d Thank you, Chloe, for unleashing the D, though. You I'm know? glad that you were here to unleash time, it with me. Time to release time it. Time to release. Uh, we're going to unleash it, put it back in our pants. Uh, the D wait. is no slave, Eliana. The D is no slave. <laughs> the D is no slave. Goodbye, y'all. Goodbye.